Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to have a greater roundtable to discuss the Africa tech ecosystem. We'll discuss the biggest 2021 moments in Africa tech and our hopes for the ecosystem in 2022. This episode was recorded on November 28, 2021. Be snacks. How goes it? Be snacks. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's a, it's I love a it. Thanksgiving relevant, relevant one. How are you doing, man? I love it. I'm good. Life is good. I'm on holiday. It's sunny here. Right. It's miserable in Seattle, but I'm not there right now. Life is great. Okay. You're on holiday in a place with shitty internet, clearly. So where are you exactly? I'm in Hawaii. Okay. <laughs> Hawaii has bad internet. That's really funny. I, I thought you're in an African country. <laughs> <laughs> today, today we're going to discuss something epic. I'm very excited about today's episode. We're going to co- combine three different threads. Number one, 2021 biggest moments. Uh, number two, our hopes for 2022. And then number three, we're going to have a little bit of a creator roundtable as well. And in fact, speaking of creator roundtable, I'm particularly excited about this episode because we have two co-hosts here today to help us tell the story. First off, we have Justin Norman, the one and only Justin from The Flip Africa. Justin, welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, The Flip? My name is Justin. I'm I'm glad and intimidated to be here because uh, <laughs> normally I just ask people questions and be curious. And now I think you guys are expecting me to do uh, something interesting. But um, yeah, I started The Flip in 2019 just as a mechanism to learn as this American guy living in South Africa. Um, and it's grown into a real media business now. So um, you guys can check us out, theflip.africa. Um, but I'm sure we'll get more into that throughout this uh, this conversation. How did I meet Justin? So uh, 2021, June 10, I sent Justin a LinkedIn message and it says, hey, man, <laughs> wanted to connect since we're basically podcast brothers at this point. I don't have a concrete idea yet, but we should think about a possible Afrobilly the Flip collaboration or partnership. Smiley face, right? Justin responds one minute later. Apparently, he's on LinkedIn. Justin says, hey, man, good to hear from you. Keen to have a chat. I'm in New York right now. Let me know how the next week goes, and let's have a chat. Amazing. So that is the background. So, Justin, we're excited to have you. We're going to have fun. I I normally don't respond to messages (laughs) that fast, so I don't know. Just time. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect. Okay, so Justin, Justin's superpower, after listening to basically every episode of The Flip, I think it's like connecting different threads together to form a narrative arc. Um, every time I listen to an episode, I'm like, oh my God, how did you get all these people together? And the editing must have taken forever. So uh, please subscribe to The Flip. It's a, it's a great, great fucking podcast. I'm a fan. So welcome, Thank Justin. You. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. And then you heard some laughter from a voice. That was definitely not Bankole. That was Samora. Samora from Frontier Fintech Newsletter, a legend. Welcome. And please tell us a little bit about yourself and the, and the fabulous newsletter. Thanks. Uh, so my name is Samora. I started writing Frontier Fintech uh, last year, January 26th. Oof. And just like Justin, you know, it was for me, it was just a way of um, learning more about fintech in Africa and uh, kind of like, um, what can I say? You know, separating the hype from the reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just grown. I mean, it's it's grown, you know, day by day. And and I think now it's one of the biggest newsletters in, in African fintech. So Ooh. yeah, <laughs> happy about that. Amazing. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. Um, actually, Bankole had recommended Samora's newsletter. And I was like, oh my God, I started reading. I'm like, this is fabulous. I should connect with this guy. But I just got lazy, lazy. I never connected. Then you and I were on an investor call with the with the founder. And then after the call, I basically I sent Samora this also on LinkedIn. Great chatting earlier in the week, Samora. Looking forward to staying in touch, man. Samora responds, 
immediately, so faster than you, Justin, basically he's also on LinkedIn. He says, yeah, definitely. My WhatsApp number is blank. I'm not going to give his fucking WhatsApp number, obviously. <laughs> but he says, drop me a line here too. Thanks again and great chatting. So amazing. Welcome on board. Very excited to have you. I think yeah. some more superpower is basically connecting different threads together. Because every time I read the fin Frontier FinTech newsletter, I'm like, oh my God, it's just like if AfroBillion were a newsletter. It's great. Very, very detailed, very thorough. And you do a great job just taking time to dissect all the different pieces. So we're excited to have you on board. We're going to have fun today. No, dude, I'm excited for, for to hear about from Samora and Justin. I'm excited to ask them some pointed questions. <laughs> I think Samora's writing honestly saves me hours. We do a lot of prep on affordability. I'm like, hmm, let me see what Samora has written about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Super well researched. I think the ecosystem really appreciates, appreciates all the work and how you put together all the different facts that exist from different sources to tell us very strong narrative that honestly helps inform my narrative and my my opinions that I have. So I guess Samara and Justin do, do, are doing the Lord's work for, you know, for some of these um, on the content they create. So definitely appreciate both of them and definitely looking forward to learn from both of them today. Let's go. I started chatting with some more. Someone on WhatsApp like, oh my God, AfroBuildy, I get so much material for my newsletter from AfroBuildy. And then Bakulis yeah. says, I get so much material. It's like, we're all part of this family. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, we're yeah. stealing, stealing each other's shit. I love it. Okay. Announcements. Announcement and PSAs, public service announcement. First, most importantly, a lot of people already know this, but I just wanted to announce after hundreds of hours of affordability research, hundreds of hours of talking to people, want to contribute more to the ecosystem. So I'm starting a fund to invest in African startups, early stage startups. Very, very excited. If you were on our mailing list, you'd already know about this because I sent an email about this three weeks ago, but this is the public announcement. So excited. I've already gotten a lot of inbound about the fund, so hopefully more, more, to, more to come. I will add a link to the show notes with a memo. You can email me, illuminatedafferability.com. Very excited. I'll probably talk about it later on the podcast. I feel like there's so many different things happening in the ecosystem and thinking about ways to contribute more and work with entrepreneurs. It gets me very, very excited. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I could talk about it for hours, but let's leave that to another time. More announcements. If you are founders, reach out to us, infodafferability.com, especially now that we have money for you, cough, cough. Other investors, reach out to us, want to partner with you. Everyone also uh, subscribe our mailing list. It's a massive white button on our website, affordability.com. Okay, some more, Justin. Is there anything you want to say about your uh, your mediums, how people can reach you before we get started on the meat of the discussion today? Well, first of all, me individually on Twitter, just underscore norm or um, the flip, the flip.africa or at the flip Africa. Um, also write a weekly newsletter. It's It's a lot shorter. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying I also do a, a narrative podcast and it's okay. time consuming. <laughs> but yeah, you can you can subscribe to that if you don't like to read. I think I think you know I think one thing I like about Justin's newsletter it's so, so it's so snappy and to the point. Mm -hmm. And I always think that I wish I could just you know be as snappy as that. Oh. But you know I went I went around. But anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Samora Karaoke, or you can email me at samora.karaoke at frontierfintech.io. And uh, looking forward to chat. All right. So the way we're going to uh, organize the discussion today is we're going to kick off with talking about our views on the most impactful moments in Africa tech in 2021. And then we'll talk about our uh, wishes in 2022. So starting with 2021. It's, uh, 2021 was an amazing year for, for the ecosystem, you know, um, you know, large amounts being raised and it's going to be a record year for, for fundraising in Africa. Right. So, you know, brilliant. For me, there are a few things that stood out. I mean, it may be controversial for some of them. First non-controversial one was clearly, you know, Waves fundraise months ago. Yes. That was massive. Right. And um, and what just shows is that these guys are coming from mobile money. I mean, and it's, 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 
it seems for me, what I like about it is that it's an audacious fundraise. It's an audacious attempt. Yes. And we need more of that in the ecosystem. We need more, you know, we're, we're going for it. I think right. these people now, Wave is investing in a few countries. Uh, it's expanding into East Africa. Yes. Some of the process of that fundraise. And from what you can see in Uganda is that they're already going for it. I mean, they're attacking mobile money and they're, and they're going for it. And in each market, they're going to spend, you know, millions of dollars. And um, and it's something to watch out for. I think larger for the ecosystem is that um, you'll have much cheaper uh, mobile money f- uh, financial services for Africans. Yeah. And 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 the difference now is that there's much more interconnectivity. You know, the thing with traditional telcos is that they're very country specific. So mm. you know, MTN is not in Kenya. Mm. Uh, Safaricom is not in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very hard for these businesses to expand. Mm. And largely those are due to, you know, the fact that mobile money is very tied to the telco, telco network. Mm. So it's hard to expand. But with the, with the wave business model, uh, it's actually very easy to expand. And when you look at it now, five, six years down from now, when they've built out their networks, then naturally what happens is now cross-border payments and remittances and trade will start flowing through this. And I think you've already started seeing it with Senegal and Ivory Coast. I'm actually very interested in these like alternative expansion routes. Mm. I think we've seen a lot of over the past few years, like the same markets, right? Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa with... You know, something in between. If you're in Kenya, you'll go to Uganda, Rwanda. And I think increasingly, you know, we're starting to see um, people like buck that trend a little bit, right? Maybe a couple of years ago, it was a few Nigerian companies going to maybe Latin America. Now, a lot of people this year, especially, are looking at Cairo. So, so I don't necessarily look at it specifically just as like the opportunity to expand within Francophone Africa, but I'm really interested in those entrepreneurs who are thinking really deeply about what markets make sense wherever they are correct um and going to those markets and not just saying like ah oh, we have to go to nigeria because it's the biggest market and because our investors are asking us why you're not in nigeria yeah. i think one of the things with wave was that but it actually started off as sendwave so they had quite a bit of experience actually in most markets you know wave now came from sendwave and i think there's some strategic reasons around why they started in francophone africa uh, largely because yeah. my view was that and it could be the truth is that the costs for mobile money in, in, in Francophone Africa are much higher than those. In, Very much, much higher. Yeah, so, so potentially that's like it's easier to disrupt in this market. So, mm. it's, you know, it's a company that has proven execution working with partners across Africa. Mm. Uh, I think Francophone is just a market entry strategic decision. Right now, just to emphasize for the audience how crazy this is. So uh, rewind the clock a little bit to 2019, 2020. So if you're in Silicon Valley and you're a solid, well-performing startup, we expect your Series A to be around a $50 million post money valuation, right? So $50 million post, solid company in Silicon Valley. Now today, the market has gone a little bit crazy. If you're doing well, your valuation could be $100 million to $200 million. But this, this number is $1.7 billion Series A, and it's in Africa. Yeah. So the number is so massive. It's basically, I have 8x to 25x higher than what you would expect for a Silicon Valley company. So I know it's a little yeah. bit cheating because, you know, what is Series A? Like, they're really foreign founders, but just the magnitude of what they're doing is impressive. I said um, two episodes ago, maybe the first Decacorn in Africa. I'm, I'm curious to see, like, what Justin was saying. If you can roll up a bunch of smaller markets, is that a reasonable strategy versus always going up with the biggest? Some more, you're on the hot seat. So you, you want to you give us <laughs> your, your second one? 
Yeah, so this is a bit controversial, but I, I liked the idea of launching an in era in, in <laughs> and, <laughs> and as I said, it's a bit controversial. But but I mean, for me, you know, as an outsider, I don't know, you know, the 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 strategic thinking behind that. Mm. But I like the fact that someone is trying something around, you know, financial inclusion. Right. And, you know, if you look at it in Nigeria, it's like they had this financial inclusion strategy 10 years ago. Yeah. And they've thrown everything at the wall to try and make it stick. And, and they keep throwing things at the wall to try and make it stick. <laughs> and it be it would be interesting to see how this era rolls out. It might not be for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's good to see an African country try it. Yeah. And and then, you know, just as a pioneer, other African countries will now realize what works and what doesn't work. A digital currency uh, has a lot of technical uh, benefits when it comes to especially inter-country remittance and cross-border payments. Of course, because costs. This, this ledgers, yeah, and, and these ledgers sit at the central bank. And these central banks are, are one of the biggest barriers to proper cross-border remittance in, in African payments. So... I think it's an interesting first step, and if it goes well, it'd be interesting to see how other countries adapt to that. Honestly, on, on this podcast, I'm like a government hater. Um, and the reason <laughs> I'm a government hater is I agree with your broader point that it's good to have different people trying different strategies to help yeah. countries progress. But the yeah. problem with the government's trying it is twofold. Number one, instead of focusing on setting the infrastructure and the guidelines and the rules and the regulation, it distracts them from focusing on setting the ground rules for the private sector. So number one, it's a distraction. And then number two, sometimes I think they misunderstand their role. When the private companies come and they start to compete with the private companies, they start to change the rules in a way that actually worsens the whole ecosystem. I really have nothing to say about the (laughs) Enira. Um, Nothing positive, but, I guess. But it feels like this was a big year in like crypto and Web three. Correct. Um, for me in particular, just you know, turning into you know, going deep into the rabbit hole with DeFi and and, and NFTs, and you know, on the continent, it's Yellow Card raising a big round, and mm. and Yele launching Nestcoin, and Bycoins mm. having you know shipping a product every week. It seems like, and Luno mm-hmm. putting their name on a building in, in Cape Town. <laughs> I'm super interested in the applications built on top of sort of the crypto ecosystem, right? I think it's a lot of focused on cash and cash out, and that's been a really big problem, you know, in a place like Nigeria. Technologically speaking, maybe it's directionally correct, but I, I sort of tend to agree with you, especially if we're talking about. Um, you know, sort of the, the, the decentralized benefits of um, Web3 infrastructure, like it, it's sort of, the, you know, CBDCs are, are sort of the antithesis of that. I mean, those are very valid points. And I tend to like fit within the same framework in terms of, you know, allowing the private sector mm. to do this job. And I'm a big believer in that. Actually, the People's Bank of China has got like some really good literature around CBDCs. And, 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 and I think the core point is this, is that, the central bank, you know, first of all, cash and currency is a public good, right? Mm. So everyone should have the right to transact, right? Underlying that public good is a central bank. And they did this job through, you know, creating cash notes, right? Right. And so a lot of the thinking behind CBDCs is not, I think maybe, I think the way it's been marketed in Nigeria is wrong, right? It's like, <laughs> listen, we're going to bring this CBDC and all our problems will go away. <laughs> and, and I think that's that's wrong. But if you look at how it's being marketed in China, I think the People's Bank of China is saying, listen, we think that we need to have a digital currency that acts as legal tender, because if everything is happening in the hands of the private sector, some individuals may be shut off from the 
Correct. financials. Correct. And those people I will tend think. to be like lower income. So it's even worse. Exactly. It's, it's exactly. Sad. So, you know, you could fail, you could fail a KYC for, you know, Alipay, or you could, you know, you could be booted out from, from, you know, which we pay, yes. which at pay. So yes. at least everyone should have a CBDC from which they transact. Right. right. Even if it's bigger, complete shits, they should have something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's what I was saying. Like Nigeria is going to be the guinea pig. Right. But there's, there's an underlying theory there that makes sense. I tend generally to not want to focus on like uh, fundraising as milestones. That being said, what I'm about to say. <laughs> I um, tend not to, but I'm gonna anyway. Yeah, well, because yeah. I, I was thinking, I was thinking a lot about it. Right? How do you, how do you measure success or development of an ecosystem that's unrelated to um, fundraising? And and so yeah. one, uh, uh, Justin, apologies for interrupting you mid sense, but why do you want to decouple it? In a way, it's artificial, but in a way, if you believe the investors are looking at numbers and traction to give higher valuations, it is sort of a good metric. I guess you're, you're going to disagree because the investors are super smart. They have a lot of money. Why would they invest at bigger valuations if the companies aren't progressing? Why, why do you not like that metric? So for context, the whole reason why I started the flip, you know, back two, two plus years ago was because at that time, all I could find was fundraising. In <laughs> right. And, and maybe it's this perpetual narrative around, you know, that is not a good way to learn about the ecosystem. Right. And, and that is at least what compelled me to start this in the first place. But, you know, I've, I've always found that I at least am more interested in like the, like, like stories about what people have built or the lessons that they've learned. Right. And so I'm not saying that it's not a good measure of success, but especially if the flip's objective is to try to tell stories of what's happening and try to share lessons. Like we're always trying to focus on on that in particular. Oh, I um, agree. I agree. I, the way I would frame it is 100% agreement is that it's high level and directional, but it's not intriguing or interesting enough to talk about the nuances of the market. You need to get a, a little bit deeper. Yeah. So I, I'm on board with you 100%. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, I know I know of some you know deals, some pretty sizable deals that haven't been announced for one reason or another, right? So, so it is a definitely a selective metric. But um, I, I also think just like, Generally speaking, like an increase in investor interest and valuations rising is 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 a net good thing. And I know a lot of investors are concerned about rising valuations and so on and so forth. And and I I, I mean, as a very amateur angel investor, think that like <laughs> that, and we're at a, a an armchair investor think that that should be less of a concern, right? I think we Same. want to see as much money as possible in the ecosystem, and the valuations are you know either going to be realized or it's going to be zero and it doesn't really matter. But um, the, the reason I suppose why I preface that was, um, you know, one one company that is really intriguing to me in Nigeria that is probably going to be Nigeria's next unicorn based on, you know, the we are raising at a billion dollar valuation <laughs> article that just came out a couple of weeks ago is is team apt. Ah, yes. Um, so I had I had Tosin on on the show a couple of episodes ago earlier in the season on a fintech series we did, and the reason why I bring them up is just because I think it's um, that is a very interesting representation of just where we are today, right? So I think 2021 was a year where they came into the public discourse a lot more. They had raised a big round earlier this year, and you know if they are in fact going to be Nigeria's next unicorn, it, it really um, symbolizes where the market is. So so their TPV is like three and a half billion dollars or more a month. Oh my God. Um, which, yeah. you know, I, I'll, I guess without like disclosing 
private information, you know, I, I know Flutterwave, for example, will have said publicly that maybe the TPV of, of, of Flutterwave over the span of, you know, the entire time that the company has been in existence is maybe nine or $10 billion or something like that. Right. right. So TPV, so, so TMAPT is doing massive, massive volumes. Uh, Justin, massive a lot of our volumes. audience live in America or Europe. They may not even know what TMAP does. You just want to do a 30 second yeah. of what their business is for the people who don't know. Yeah. So TMAP basically runs a network of, of mobile money agents, right. um, agency banking. I guess it's a little bit different because there's not mobile money in Nigeria, but they're basically run a network of human ATMs. Right. So they handle the cash in and cash out in Nigeria. They do sort of offline analog services for the banks. Right. Um, and the fact that their their TPV is so high on a monthly basis just goes to show how much cash is moving around the Nigerian ecosystem. Correct. For our audience, um, it's similar to Paga, one of our former episodes, except they started a little bit later. They were a little bit underground and they only really went big with marketing communications like a year ago. So for the audience, in case you're not familiar. Yeah. And they're mm -hmm. also now launching their own payment gateway so i think they're starting to like move upstream and right. disintermediate their banking partners a little bit and I, I bring that up just as a as an interesting thing for 2021 because like i i i am always reminded i'm constantly reminded with all of the people that i talk to of just like where we are today mm -hmm. right and balancing you know the very analog nature of these markets with you know the aspirations right and that number i i, I tell it to a lot of people just how much cash is moving around Nigeria relative to digital transactions. Yeah. One thing I find very interesting about this space, and thanks for bringing that up, like about Team Apt. So you know, I think I think those 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 summer I read how you know contrasting uh, the rise of Paga and the rise of Flatwave in terms uh -huh. of valuation. You know, Flatwave's valuation was massive, yes. and I think you know Justin raised an important point about TPV. And for me, the question is like, when you yeah. build out this kind of uh, agnostic mobile agency platforms, et cetera, you, you're kind of building the same infrastructure that you need for Flutterwave, right? And is it then easy for, you know, TeamUp to then now offer the same services as Flutterwave down the line and become like some payment processor and, you know, go for their lunch? I, I think it's very interesting because like in Kenya, there's, there's, there's a company called Tanda. Hmm. That that pretty much does the same as Team Apps, just not at the same scale. But now they're they're having a very strong B two B payments proposition, and 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 I think it's 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 an interesting dynamic where some guys start with B two C, and because B two C is you know is is, is you you have to build a lot of infrastructure, right. and then now do the B two B API play. And I think maybe some of that is being priced into the upcoming valuations for some of these companies. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny you should say that. I don't want to jump ahead. Justin, I'll pass it back to you. But actually, one of my biggest points for the biggest moment in 2021 was chipper cash's rise and continued like success. And on the back of that, their strategy is similar to what you're saying some more. On the face of it, they seem like a, a consumer-facing fintech app that gives a bunch of things like a super app. But on the back end, they're actually trying to monetize through B2B because the B2C services, they're almost always giving up everything yeah. super cheap or for free. Okay, so I'll talk quickly about the, the chipper cash. And then, Justin, please feel free to jump in your second point. I think the reason I, I thought chipper cash was important was not just because it's successful, just because of the rate of increase and the rate of success. Everything's happening so quickly. It happened so fast that I remember um, around May when they announced their CVC round and they raised $100 million. And I was like, $100 million. They said they were Africa's most valuable company, basically a unicorn. Some other reports said it wasn't a unicorn. It was six fifty, seven fifty million, whatever. And then four months later, they said they're not worth $2 billion. But what was interesting to me about it is the lead investor was FTX. 
And I realized yeah. that our intuition banking on the episode, that most of the revenues probably came from crypto is probably correct. Crypto. So there's, there's the angle yeah. of like crypto pushing um, cheaper cash's valuation. And Justin, your point around like crypto's increasing importance, both just for basic, you know, I'm a marketplace, whatever, um, also for infrastructure stuff. So I was curious to see all the growth stories and the combined stories of cheaper cash plus crypto, plus infrastructure businesses, plus crazy valuations. Who knows by next year, the yeah. valuation may even be higher. So. Well, I, I actually want to say something about the, that crypto stuff that just came to mind, ah. which is like, are we going to see more crypto companies lead rounds? I think <laughs> Luno, Luno just participated in a deal here in South Africa recently. And you know, those guys just have, I'm sure, a crazy amount of money. Oh my God, right? yes. And if that starts to happen, if that starts to happen here locally as well, right. then it could be just... Yeah, that I mean, we're we're probably jumping ahead to to 2022 predictions yes, or yes. things or whatever. But yes. that's I didn't even think about that. That's one thing that I would love to see is just all of these 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 crypto platforms just becoming investors oh, because that'll be crazy. Uh, Justin, any other 2021 moments? Yeah, and this one is is a bit, bit South African specific, but I'm based in South Africa. Yes. So, um, I, I and I get the impression that this is is less of the case in Nigeria, but I still think. In South Africa, there's a lot of um, like from a from a career trajectory perspective, like a hesitation around uh, looking at startups as a viable career uh, option. Um, yeah. Yeah. The for for a variety of reasons, I think the the legacy of apartheid in South Africa has left a lot of people to want you know to take this like quote unquote stable route and you know black tax and all of these things. Um, and then there's I think a lot of people in corporates who really want to you know, build South Africa for the better, but are trying to do it in a, in an environment that doesn't allow for that. Hmm. Um, but the, the Yoko round again, talking about fundraise, but as a, as yeah. a, um, <laughs> I love it. You see, you yeah. love fundraising, but you don't want to love it but I, as, I, a, as I, a signal, as a, as a signal. <laughs> right. Um, so there was a lot of people, I think whose eyes opened up and said, wow, you, like, uh, so it was a billion rand, 83, $84 million. And, wow. and, um, I have a personal goal of getting all of my friends in South Africa who work for corporate to quit their jobs and go join a startup. Um, and one of one of my friends after that, and I wrote a piece about it, um, he sent me a message like, wow, Yoko, billion rand, $83 million. And um, I said, do you want to work for them? And he was like, yes. And then he left his corporate job. And oh my basically, to make a long story short, he just started working for Yoko at the beginning of this month. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And, Look at so that. I think HR, yeah. Justin, if you need any employees, reach out to Justin Norm. I think, I think that's like a super valid, very important point. And I think thanks for raising that, Justin, because it's, it's like a super powerful point in the sense that, uh, so that was part of the reason why Silicon Valley grew. You know, you had people yes. who are living like, especially to drive expertise in some of these startups and there are typical examples. And that hasn't been the case in Africa yet, but it's starting to be the case where, you know, you've got like the best payment experts from, you know, ABSA or, you know, the best, you know, logistics guy from DHL yes. moving into a startup. But the thing is now like the second and third order consequences, like guys coming out of universities are not thinking about joining these traditional companies now. They'll be thinking more about joining startups. Right. And that now creates like a flywheel effect. And now when you look at now the probability of success for some of these startups to now capture the valuation that's been attributed to them is that 
the legacy companies, the incumbent companies get weaker because there's a right. lot of executive level attrition yes. as the startups are getting stronger. And I think it's important to say that, but because there's this lady called, I think, Jane Mwangi, who was like this corporate titan uh, in, in Kenya, and she was the head of mobile financial services at, at Safaricom. Oh. And she recently joined Jumia. And we are seeing more and more of, you know, this kind of, this kind of shift. world businesses. And, and I think it's amazing. Thanks for using that, Justin. I love it. I love it. Justin, I agree 100%. And one of the, the uh, things I like the most about it, which is obvious, but I'll say it anyways, when I moved back to Nigeria in 2012, I was so surprised by how uh, lower the average salaries were across the board. This will push all the salaries up because basically you have yeah. the you have the investors from America, Europe giving the startups money. Startups get a higher valuation. They pay the employees more money. And then if you're a GTB or APSA, you have to match those salaries or people will leave. Now, of course, people don't only leave because of salaries, but it has a positive uh, ecosystem impact on average salaries. It helps. It yeah. helps. It helps. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's something else to be said, which is like, so, so again, very South African specific, but you know, there, there's there's also this thing that happens a lot here locally, where a company will, you know, a startup will form. They're this innovative young company. They'll look they'll look to a corporate to do some sort of pilot or POC or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it happens very very often that these companies end up getting acquired very very early for peanuts. Not a lot of money. I know, right? Yeah. Um. Well, look, I mean, a couple million dollars or whatever. Like, it's nice, you know, if if you're South African, but. Um, from an ecosystem development perspective as well, like South Africa hasn't seen very many growth stage companies like reach, you know, series B, series C plus. I think also just not just in South Africa, but but in Nigeria and Kenya and beyond, like as more of these companies become growth stage companies, it has huge implications on just the development of ecosystems from a talent perspective, from yes. an M&A perspective. So I'm really excited. Like we're, I think we're getting to a new phase now where a lot of these companies are like, real companies with real money right. can go get talent, can go buy companies, can yes. you know, do inorganic expansion and all of these different things. And, and um, it was the first instance of seeing that in South Africa. And we're starting to see it a lot more elsewhere as well, which is super exciting to me. I was going to say to your earlier point about the maturity of an ecosystem. I think that's when we measure the maturity of an ecosystem, right? Which is basically how are they able to attract talent and are the yes. best people in that market willing to work for those companies? Um, and you see that across time. And two years ago, it would be absurd um, for an MBA student, or even if you did undergrad in the US and you came back to an African country to work for Jumia, three, four years ago, it would be like, that's a bold risk. Right. And now if you came back to Nigeria to work for Flutterwave or Paystack, as classmates from grad school many years ago did, five years ago did, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, that's a smart choice. Like you're making a different adjusted bet on the valuation right. going up and you're going to work for cheaper cash and this is great, you get upside. It's a rational decision now. And I know a vast majority of people, when I talk to students in grad school, who are thinking seriously, who are looking at Wellington Capital Management, TA Associates, like big private equity firms in the US, and then Paystack, Flutterwave, and considering offers from all those companies hmm. right now. And it's just, what a time what a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'll add a very, very concrete example. So let's say, imagine you were a graduate student, and you were considering an offer from a well-known company X versus a startup, like let's say Chipper or Cuda Bank. Like your equity offer, the equity part of your compensation like Kuda's valuation went from whatever, 100 million to 500 million in five months, so 5X. Chipper Cash's valuation went from whatever, 650 million to 2 billion. So the equity part of the compensation went up by 4X or 5X 
within a year. Now, obviously, we're cherry picking apples and oranges, but just it just goes to show, even though there's higher risk, there's more potential upside in joining some of these companies, especially if you're younger, right? And your risk tolerance is higher. So we don't want to pick, yeah. cherry pick because it can also go the opposite direction. But there is something to be said about the momentum of younger people getting more interested in the space that excites me. Also, the mentality startups have towards talent vis-a-vis mm-hmm. traditional companies where you can ruin your CV with the wrong uh, with the wrong move. Whereas startups look at what you're actually able to do. If you're in the startup world and you're like a payments guru and your payments company fails, someone down the line is still building payments capabilities. And, you know, whereas mm-hmm. in the traditional industries, like if you're a you know, relationship manager and you make one wrong move, mm-hmm. that's like lethal for your career. Right, and I yeah. think... And I think, you know, those dynamics are coming and it's changing the idea of risk, especially career risk. Like if you have specific skill sets, then within the startup world, there'll always be demand for your kind of skill set. Now just wait until when there's actual exits and people see that <laughs> equity is actually worth something, then, then how things will change. Oh, yeah. I feel like we already had that in Nigeria. See, the best thing for the Nigerian ecosystem was that pay stack number. Was, like I, yeah. I, maybe I should post a clip of all these memes of pastors using it to preach in church with like these two boys focused <laughs> and they got, they have $200 million in their bank account now, you know, and all they did was work hard. They didn't party. They didn't drink. And I'm like, yeah, that's the narrative. These boys pay stack. Have you heard of pay stack? After I saw, I saw, I saw, I saw on Twitter pictures of Shola with Mr. Easy on yachts, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what you, hey, uh, that's what that's you what need. You Build do. a payments company. At the that's end what, of that's the a dream. <laughs> BB dub. Uh, I guess yeah. we're calling you B-Snacks B- today. You want to go through? B-Snacks, B-Cash, <laughs> B-Money. Um, no, I, I, so I had a couple of things. I, I think how I framed it, just listen to Summer and Justin speak, is really about the maturity of the ecosystem. And one way, I think we agree that the ecosystem is becoming more mature. One way I try to think about this is when you start to solve for niche, um, niche needs and niche customers. And it's not as niche as the US. In the US, you find software for dental assistants. You dog find walking apps. Your dog, dog walking apps. <laughs> or you find an app that makes clothes for nursing assistants because their clothes are very unique or shoes for people who stand at their feet all day. Right. So we find niche. And one example I pick is just logistics and how within Nigeria, over Africa broadly, all these companies have picked into like B2B logistics as, a, as an incredible niche. And now you don't find logistics companies. Five years ago, you founded we had like Gokada, Max.ng, Max.Africa, hmm. um, those businesses solving logistics, but for everybody. You need to get people, things, Uber, people, things to place to place. And now in the past year, there's Vendees solving it for restaurants. Shout you know, out just, to Vendees. Shout out to, to yeah. Tunde, friend of the pod. Tunde, we see yeah, you, we see you rock, rocking your FIFA 2021 game yeah. there. Get at me. Get at me yeah. on FIFA, Tunde. Come, Dude, come, get, come catch Tunde, the smoke. Series A, remember affability <laughs> where your boys don't do Series A without me. <laughs> Illuminateafrabuli.com. Remember, we're your friends. Remember. Asking for allocations. Um, no, <laughs> I'm serious. But, but, but Vendee's doing it for restaurants, um, Omnibus, Trade Depot, suppliers, better stores, yes. Max AB, Prosper, Market Force, Alerzo. I feel, like, I feel like next year, we're going to get to this point where one of them is going to be successful or none of them is going to be successful. I feel like there's just a lot of niche. And, and I think of this as like the ecosystem being much more mature. And I hope that next year we can find... Um, Jumping ahead a bit, a lot more of these like niche niche solutions. So I'm very but, excited. Like, but thank you, thank you on on that yeah. point. So the way you're articulating it, am I understanding it correctly? That you're thinking about the quantity, like there are more companies doing different things versus you don't care much about the quality. Like the quality, you figure itself out. It's capitalism. Is my understanding correct? Yes. Yeah. That is. There's more. It's more of a business choice now. It makes sense to niche 
like that because I'll give you an example because all the things that you had to solve five years ago to do this have been solved for you. So you integrate credit scoring from any of the credit scoring companies. You integrate payments from any of the payments companies, and you just have to worry about your bikes, right? Mm. The technical talent exists. You can go hire some people. Right. Crazy amounts of money, but the technical talent exists. The people who have built and maintained APIs at Nigeria scale in Nigeria with Nigerian internet. The people who have integrated with MTN and 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 um and the big telcos. So those skill sets, the the base infrastructure that exists has now allowed those businesses to set up these like what I'm calling layer two businesses mm. on top of the entire like infra that exists. Oh, okay, so okay. okay. But thank you, but let, let's get let's get controversial. Is it fair to say that? then the potential outcome is smaller. Because if you're the infrastructure business, if you're a flutter wave, right, your outcome is infinite because you're the infrastructure for every business. If you're, I don't want to pick a name, let's just say company X. Yeah. Is it fair to yeah. say the outcome could be smaller? Better stores, oh. Omnibus or whatever. <laughs> you pick the name. No, let's okay, call fine. It. Let's, yeah. let's call them out. Is it fair to say that? Or, or, or is it like, is the real answer, it doesn't matter because if flutter wave is 5, 10, 20, 30 billion, a quote unquote smaller outcome, 3 billion is still massive. How do you think about building on top of infrastructure as a smaller outcome? It absolutely doesn't matter. It's like, uh, it's like, you know how people say like restaurants, 97% of restaurants are so closed in the first year. Right. It's, the restaurant industry is always going to be fine. That churn, that getting rid of the dead makes the ecosystem stronger. So the weakest will not survive. It makes the species stronger, right? So it makes right. the ecosystem stronger that they can fail and they should fail if they don't work well. And they all know that Every, all these businesses have called their names, not to name any of them, know that failure is a clear and present danger. They don't, and, and success is not a birthright. Right. And if they can execute better and have better strategy, they can win. And if they don't, they can and should die. And investors can and should lose their money, which is also part for the course. So uh, um, from an ecosystem perspective, if you if you come out of all of this, right? If you come out of all of this and one of these companies that came out, mm. you have a much stronger business because you've learned how to compete and win. I think that's what that's what ex- is, ex- is exciting me. Okay. So yeah, the returns may or may not be down the line. That said, about the returns though. It's still very early for each of these businesses. Like mm. a lot of it is still informal. Like maybe they can all win. It's like saying uh, pay- payments in the US was won in 2011 when PayPal was on top of everything. And it's like right. maybe, but maybe not. I tend to agree. If you look at some of these Chinese logistics companies like mm. Meituan, okay, it's not necessarily a religious company, but that figure out a lot of logistics. Right. I mean, how long did it take for them to reach profitability? Oh my God. It yes. took a long time. And there was a time, like, in, in terms of the whole group buying business, there were, like, over 200 yeah. startups facing the same space. Yes. And and it's, like, just, you know, incredible learning. I think why I like Banky's comment is that five years ago, nobody was solving for any of this, right? Nobody right. was solving logistics. Nobody was solving uh, fulfillment. Nobody was solving, like, retail, wholesale distribution. Mm. And now people are solving for this. And, you know, if you speak to people in the industry, the amount of learning that's happening, the amount of like pivoting that's happening, it's like you start yeah. with an idea, a blank canvas, and then you now start moving towards product market fit. Yes. And I think it's it's massive. If anything, I think some of these companies could be bigger than the likes of Flutterwave and Paystack because if you think yeah. about GDP contribution for things like retail and wholesale trade, yes. logistics and transport, it's massive. I agree. You know? I agree 100%. And, and some more, Banky, don't forget, even though Flutterwave, I, I hate what I hate. We keep on picking on them. Even though they're an infrastructure player, they only get a small take rate on every transaction because the way the payments yes. ecosystem works, it's whatever one percent, two percent, zero point four percent. So if you multiply that proportion over the overall time, you'd be surprised that if you're in a different quote unquote vertical business, you get a higher yeah. take rate and your outcomes could actually be higher because your outcomes isn't based on GTV or TAM. It's based on not value creation but value capture as take rate yeah. of the total. So 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 there's some nuance there where you shouldn't look at it yeah. at, at a simplistic level. Yes. 
I, I tend to agree that there should be way more businesses all doing the same things. I also tend to think that competition is good, especially from a user experience perspective. And a lot of um, uh, user experiences are not great today um, mm. because of, you know, lack of competition. And so right. um, I, well, I'm also right. I'm, I'm American and capitalist. So uh, perhaps yeah. by default, I, I would always like to see more competition in every sector, no matter how niche it is. Yeah. Better for users, better, like better margins. Like, I, I think of the glory days as a technophile, as an early adopter, first adopter of software. It was just when Uber and Lyft were competing. That's just like, what a time to be alive. Like rides across <laughs> town would be like $6. Like, that's, those, were, those were the times. Subsidized, subsidized by lifestyles. <laughs> no, it's hap- but it's happening. But it's happening also in South Africa. Didi just came here and they were right. offering like free rides all, right. all around Cape Town. You know, 100%. Great. Oh, it's definitely happening. Banky, how, yeah. how do you think Chipper Cash is giving me a 40% discount? To buy airtime oh, every time every yeah. day i get 50 40 percent. come day. on triple cash yeah. shout out to ftx yeah. giving them um, millions of shout dollars. out to shout out to triple cash <laughs> for funding my airtime i'm going to lagos and cape town in december i'm going to take a ton of consumer loans i don't know if i should say that but i am <laughs> we'll see what's happening um but yeah so i'm happy with with the, with the proliferation of businesses and opportunities that exist that are honestly tactically layer two businesses okay to borrow a crypto term Second, second piece, and we've we've happened on this a lot. I think of fundraising as well. Mm-hmm. I am amazed about how if you go through the large fundraising announcements in Africa this year, um, this 2021, it's honestly less, it's not that much news. It's not, I don't, I don't it doesn't have that much shock value. Mm-hmm. I remember how I felt when Paystack raised $11 million maybe f- five years ago now. Right. And now that's completely gone. It's like Flower raised a lot of money, Chipper Cash raised a lot of money. Tala raised $145 million. Right. Um, um, Andela raised $200 million. Time Bank raised $109 million. There's a lot of these businesses that, that have raised large amounts of money that don't, they don't stay in the consciousness. Um, I think that's great for the ecosystem. There's a lot of validation. There's now a lot of money coming in mm. and people want to play. So if you think it's big now, you know, just wait till next year, I think. I, I think this is really like... 100%. A year ago, with 2020, we thought it was insane. And when we did a roundup last year, we thought oh, 2020 was a crazy year, even in the pandemic. Look at all these announcements. Yeah. And 2021 is basically like, if you raise $100 million, you get it's, a fraction of the byline. You don't get the front page. It's all up um, to the right. Like, up uh, to the right. Banky, I was reading um, some articles of India Tech and uh, Southeast Asia Tech 10 years ago. And it's funny, you see people saying the same thing. Oh my God, I can't believe they're raising so much money. Is the valuation real? It's, it's sort of like, if you can just stay in the game and work with the companies, you'd be surprised by how big these companies can get. But I noticed the people that live in those regions, they're biased against the potential of the companies. So, um, for example, I'll talk about Yummy, this Venezuelan company I, I invested in. So I asked all my friends from Venezuela, what do you think of this company? They're basically like DoorDash. Like they do food, food delivery in Venezuela. Everyone said, no, you're crazy. Venezuela is messed up. No, no. I made the investment. It's turned out quite well. But the reason I made the investment was after doing 100 hours of affordability, I realized people on the ground in the regions even though they want the company, the countries to succeed and the companies move forward, they have a bias against the companies because they they're too deep in the game. They know too much, so you have to like up level yourself and be like, well, is Nigeria really that different from India? Really though, I mean, there are people. People want the same needs and desires. So if you believe yeah. that the arc of humanity towards progress, all the developing markets should follow each other with some lag. There isn't some. Yeah. There isn't anything innately different about a Kenyan than someone living in India. And they're human beings. They have the same desires. Anyway, I think Banky, your point is great, and we should just emphasize yeah. for the audience that. Even if you think the numbers are big, you have to understand, if you look at the amount of funding going to African startups and the relative size of African startups, they're still quite small. They just seem big to us because we're comparing them to, to last year. But last year is gone. That's the past. We have to look to the future. 
Anyway, and if you, you look at if you look at and and I I also look at uh, startups in the U.S. Mm. or in, in in developed markets. Right. If you look at a pitch deck from the U.S. or from any business school graduate, which I also see some of those, and you see the valuations, and you see the valuations of actual businesses spitting cash in Africa. Right. It is still a still even at these elevated valuations, right? Mm-hmm. And the market opportunity, whatever you decide the time is and the execution risk is, if you apply all kinds of ratios of math to that it's still fairly priced. It's just not, there's still not that much capital chasing the deals. And this is a very controversial opinion, um, at least in, in the tech media about evaluations are going up and fundraising is, is getting hot. And, yeah. you know, people are trying to raise at eight, people are telling them to raise at 15, you know, like, you know, people are, you know, putting out, we're raising at eight and somebody's saying, I will give you money, but at 15 or at 20, and that's happening. Um, Shout out to our friends at Tiger, Tiger Global. We love you guys. Thank you. But, but it's still think- very early, and the opportunity is still very, very high. Now we cannot go, we cannot go on forever. But I think we're, if you look at it, the, 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 the market opportunity, I think there's something there. Samora, you're going to say something. I, I, I think you know, I, I tend to agree with you guys. One way I look at it is that, uh, so you know, African business, most business are first generation. So we are facing like a fast. A lot of industries still run by first, at most second generation business. Hmm. So that's one angle. Yeah, oh, oh, somewhere about, then, by the way, I think the other point is, I think apart from agriculture, I think agriculture tends to be the generation that just keep passing it down as a side. Now on the other side, on the other side, you have a situation where it's a good um, point. globally, there's a change in the way value is created with technology now coming into, yes. um, you know, at the core of everything, right? And so, and this 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 second wave is happening across the world, right? And you know, it started with the likes of Amazon. Now it's moving into like the likes of Tesla and automobiles and everything. So, like Africa is benefiting from those two kind of forces. On one hand, a lot of first second generation businesses are, are disruptable because they're still young, they're still not yet entrenched. And then on the other hand, technology is coming at the center of everything. So VC is coming to invest in all this. And so, you know, you look at the likes of Trigger, Max AB, all these guys. I mean, these guys are just getting started. Five years from now, most of the food, most of the FMCG in Africa may be moving through this, these platforms. And the reality is these platforms are like 10 times better than the existing distribution frameworks. And, and so, yeah. you know, for me, I'm super bullish about, about you know, about this space. Those who, who are sort of, critical of of valuations i think fail to recognize that like infrastructure and knowledge compounds right yeah. so to go back to to using like the term layer 2 startup right the growth isn't linear it's exponential right yeah. so yeah, we're right. going to see something like exponential growth in valuations and we should or exponential right. value creation right yes, and, and exactly. so people are going to say wow you know things are whatever so much higher but it's because we're experiencing this exponential growth and Yes, as we should. It's it's hard to see it, but it's happening. And actually, Justin, your last one is great because a lot of times when people say valuations are quite high, it's because they have a mental idea of the cap of the company. But if the cap in your head was 500 million and now the valuation is 50, you're like, oh my God, 10x or 10x makes sense. But if it's now 5 billion, 7 billion, of course you can pay a little bit more because the potential upside is even higher. So it depends on your, your optimism and view for the future on the cap of the companies. I would say there's a really great, not boring piece <laughs> on this called kind of Compounding problem. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have read it, but that's exactly the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Paki. And I think, Paki, I think yeah. also a lot, of, a lot of Africans come from the basis of like traditional, you know, stock market investing, where there's <laughs> such a huge focus on EBITDA margins and, you know, right. dividend yields and stuff like that. Right. And so they use the case, same kind of frameworks to analyze startups. And of course, you're going to have, you know, 
when you look at it from that lens, everything is going to be overvalued. Right. From that lens, Kukuda Bank is worth $0, exactly $0. Exactly. <laughs> but when you look at it from a, from a compounding perspective, I always say, it's like my 15-year-old nephew going to open a bank account or a crypto wallet. I mean, the first thing he's going to do, most likely it's going to be a crypto wallet. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you should make sure you open one for him. I think I, I, agree, with, I agree with all of that. The, the compounding piece is something that even I like um, underestimate a lot when we talk about the startups is that it, it's not just part of a big time is that their benefits will compound and, and the markets will compound and open up more margin and more opportunity, more business. Now there's execution risk. I was going to ask, um, maybe somewhere on Justin is, is it possible to be too optimistic or you think we're very <laughs> far away from that? We yes. feel like this sounds like a, we're, we're circling each other. We're like, dude, it doesn't matter. We're basically saying it doesn't matter how much things cost. You know, Flutterwave wants to raise at five billion, so be it. We raise at ten billion. You know, are you in or out? So, is it possible to be too optimistic, or you think that like, look, it's so early, it's so barren. It's like investing in in the US in seventeen seventy six. It's just gonna go up and to the right. It's three hundred years of of greatness. There's no price too high. Like, I, I don't think, know. I think the way I look at it is like the dot com crash, right? So, if you look at the dot com crash, um, everything was blown down, but 20 years later, Amazon is still you know, the most valuable company in the world. Mm. Um, a lot of business models uh, that were tried at the time failed, but now are working like, you know, working pets, you know. <laughs> web, 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 web van, pets.com. Exactly. exactly. So I think in principle, the underlying uh, reasons for why there's optimism will exist. If there's a, uh, you know, market correction, it's likely to you know shake up a few business models, but it's likely to be positive for the ecosystem in the long term. Mm. But if you ask me 10, 15 years from now, some of the themes that have been invested in will still be you know very strong. Yeah, please email infoalphabet.com if you want to chat about the stuff. Because I'm very curious, because I as bullish as I am on this on this direction, it's smaller, it's not possible that you cannot overpay for an African business. Like it's not possible you cannot overpay, but maybe is it possible? It's like, if you saw Google's pitch deck in 2004, 2005, or you saw Facebook in 2009, you could not overpay for it, right? I don't think it's possible to overpay for it. They're going to have asked for whatever valuation they're going to get there. And I wonder if, and it seems like the general consensus here is many African businesses are in that stage right now. Like Wave could I, have raised at 3 billion. I have, I have some thoughts on this, but I think Justin, you're, you're, about, to, you're about to jump in. Well, I, I mean, just to, to that point, it's also very interesting about like, you know, how, how many VCs who have been around a while care about valuation strictly because the only way that they're making any money in their funds thus far is because they're selling on secondary. So they care about valuation, right? Right. right. Once, right. That's the issue. So once these companies IPO at whatever, or they, you know, we have these exponentially growing companies, right. then it's not going to matter. So it has kind of mattered today right but you know i look forward to the time when and you know i mean it's going to be a lesson learned for everyone i think and, and also just on the optimism thing like i just also think pessimism is very boring and i don't know how 100%. people choose to live their life 100 <laughs> justin and i are like family the view i have is i have two, two, two points two points to make on this i think the first point is we should separate the ecosystem perspective from the individual company perspective so any individual company based on marketing, hype, whatever, they can be overvalued, undervalued. 
Personally, I don't give a shit, right? Whatever, if a company's over, I, I don't care. But the whole ecosystem, because it's so young, because everything is so nascent, my perspective very strongly that the whole ecosystem is not overvalued because the whole ecosystem represents Africa. So how can Africa be how can it be overvalued when we have so many issues? So 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 that, that's the separation, first thing. And the second thing is, even though I'm an investor now, we announced the fund at a mentoring fund, whatever, I love the ecosystem. So I'm biased that way anyway. So the, so the audience listening, discount whatever I say. I'm a Nigerian person. I want it to be positive like Justin is saying, second thing. And then the last thing we should note is, when some people say companies are overvalued, they're talking about their own specific sector. So a fintech investor may say, oh, company X was overvalued, but realize people realize Africa is more than fintech. There's health tech, there's education, there's logistics, government tech, on and on and on and on. There are infinite set of industries. So even if your company X is overvalued in fintech, hey, we have some health problems, we have some education problems. So anyway, just to yeah. summarize my macro points, individual company versus ecosystem, number one, my bias, number two, and then number three, different sectors have different levels of maturity. So there's no overarching answer because different Companies are in different sectors solving different needs. What I thought you were going to say, what I thought you were going about the sector points was that there's no single sector in Africa in Africa tech. Like most of the companies, once they get big enough, do everything. Everyone's a fintech anyway. <laughs> yeah. If you apply a fintech valuation to any of these companies, you miss the point. That's not where I was if you going, apply a logistic valuation to any of these companies, you right. miss the point. Like at least that's not what they're putting in their decks. The execution right. is a different risk, but right. If you are Gukada or, or Patao or any, right. of these, any of these Patao in Southeast Asia, is, yeah. if you apply a logistics, you know, carry luggage from point A to B, right. make 2% margin on that, valuation to that, that's not what they're selling. Yeah. And that's true for many emerging markets as well. So even mm-hmm. the sector valuation lens is eh. Right. But, but, but bankly, you can see it's because we, we, we're we like investors, we're overly focused on this point. What most people care about is are startups and entrepreneurs solving problems to drive the ecosystem forward? So that's the macro point. The answer is yes. Okay. Whether companies overvalue or not is, is not an important question for a woman who's 45 years old living in Uganda. She doesn't give a shit. Okay. She just wants to know, like, how am I going to get my food? Is my health okay? How am I going to sleep? How am I going to fit my key, my kids? And all those problems are being solved. So that's what I care about. We're valued, undervalued, yeah. whatever. Let other people figure that shit out. Yeah. And, and also, it's not like you have to go find the problems. There's a lot of problems there's a yeah. lot of problems to solve and right you can we can be skeptical about the individual companies or individual markets or execution risk or whatever but like right. just by the very nature of if we believe that that you know the the world evolves and progress is inevitable which exactly. i personally do believe right Same. you look around these markets and you're like yo this stuff can can be better and 100%. people are trying to solve it and inevitably some people will do it right 100% thank you when we saying insurance rates were like one or two percent in most African countries. Didn't we say like the cash a few minutes ago is like 98, 99 percent? Oh, there's so many issues, like an infinite list. So I will close us out on my my high point of 2021. Basically, my first one was going to be wave. I think we already crossed that to death. So I'm going to repeat that. The second one was going to be chipper cash's um, rapid valuation and quote unquote success. We covered that. And the last one, which I'm surprised no one mentioned, but I may be a little bit biased because it was one of our episodes from a few weeks ago is I'm calling it Andela's reemergence. I feel like a few years ago, Africa, uh, Andela was basically the Africa tech darling, right? It was always in the news. It was always about them. Basically, they represented Africa tech in a weird sort of way. And because of the issues they had in 2019, 2020, they went through some challenges. But I feel like this was a great year for them. They came back. COVID helped them do well. They had a massive $1.5 billion valuation. And um, as I said in a few episodes ago, they had a few trends in their favor. Um, booming population in emerging markets, high unemployment rate for, for the youth, increased global need for software developers. But because of COVID, they have two additional things in their favor. They have COVID is pushing a lot more companies to be remote 
which um, favors Andela. And a lot of companies want more diversity. And because Andela is in emerging markets, all the employees tend to be diverse that they can get for you. So I think that piece is very, very important to me. And I'm curious to see how that evolves in the future. So not specific to Andela in particular, but a, a thing that I've been thinking a lot about is this idea about, you know, Every African tech pitch deck will say $1.4 billion population and fast growing, <laughs> whatever, right? Complete and bullshit. They frame, it, they frame it, but it's framed as a good thing, right? And all of all the superlatives, right? Africa's fastest growing, whatever, fastest growing urbanization. Right. It's, it, it, it's a good thing, right? But then right. sometimes I look around and I'm like, but what if it's a bad thing? Where the, like, where are the jobs going to come from, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and and that's fucking scary actually yes fucking right? scary. If, if it's really scary and right. I, sometimes i think you know w- w- there needs to be even more drastic measures around you know uh, some some content that i want to do in the future is around just like the future of work right ah. but but not not just yeah. talking about like everyone's going to become a remote software engineer <laughs> but in the in the nature of you know these quote unquote informal markets and everyone is, has different hustles and revenues coming in from different pieces. And how do yes. we like create a more enabling environment for that? You know, what does the future of work look like in, in that context? And how do we build for, for those people? Right. And it, it's kind of the same thing actually, as everyone thinks that now in the future is going to be crypto, your, your work <laughs> is going to be on chain. Everyone's going to work for different DAOs, different projects. Right. But it's like a- Axie infinity. Informal. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, but I, so I, I, I wrote a thing. I wrote a newsletter like a couple months back where it's like, who's doing the play to earn NFT game as a development, like as a, as an economic development plan. Right. You know what I mean? Like, okay. and no, no idea is too crazy. Right. So in the context of Andela, I think it's great. I think that there's whatever, if, if Andela is a moonshot, there should be a thousand more. Endels. Right. Okay. So Justin, on that point, I, I like where you're headed because one thing a lot of people don't like to talk about is the, un, the ugly underbelly of tech is for almost all tech businesses, you need way fewer people than what they're replacing. Right. So in quote unquote developed markets, the jobs tend to go, okay, this industry hired this many people. Now the tech equivalent hires way fewer people. So unfortunately, there's like some weird job displacement, job loss. But but the great thing, and it's great we're four creators on this podcast, I feel like there's an opportunity for people to figure out what they're going to do on an individual creator basis and actually do something in society. So maybe we can talk about this in a few minutes yeah. when we're going to get into that. But I feel like there's a lot of opportunity. And even if they're not quote unquote creators, whatever the fuck that means, I just feel like there's more individual pursuits that can drive humanity forward versus just like being a corporate drone and going to a freaking office every day from nine to yeah. five. That, that sucks. A lot of people don't yeah. like corporate jobs. Thanks. So I think on the Andela point, you know, I think what Justin said is very true. My perspective has always been, it's very simple. So like from underlying economic theory, the whole thing about uh, transactional costs and why the organizations are uh, defined the way they are. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, you create more employees and everything because you want to reduce, you know, you have, you have an internal market for labor. Yes, yes. So, so for my point for Andela is that if you use data and all these things to kind of like, you know, fix that problem, right. then traditional heuristics that are used to hire, such as race, you know, nationality, mm. uh, you know, breakaway, and it gives more opportunity for people who, who are talented because, you know, Correct. as Africans who've studied abroad, 
you know, you realize like you go to school and you're like, you know, one of the smartest guys in class. And um, <laughs> hold on, Samora, Samora is bragging on, on Afrobility podcast. No, it's true. I mean, if, if you like, hate that, email Samora at Afrobility.com. If you were in Samora's <laughs> class and he wasn't the smartest no, person, listen. <laughs> email Samora at Afrobility.com. If Samora cheated off of you in high school. <laughs> 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 the, point is, the point is simple. The, the point is that, like, you know, it, it gives it, it gives Africans a chance that they never had before, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. that's my biggest that's my biggest point. And and on the issue of like, you know, now what happens in the future? I think one thing Andela can do is like integrate more with governments or work closely with governments and just say, listen, we'll do training, right? There's so much demand for data scientists, do all this kind of training. And you know you can have some tax incentives around the work that's generated from there, but I think I think the underlying business model is very very attractive. I was going to have a different point of view on the Andela piece, maybe less positive point of view, is giving their pivot to um, to senior engineers, no junior engineers, and like it doesn't something is missing, right? There's something this kind of doesn't work. If there are all these young people in Africa that supposedly this pool of talent. And Andela can figure out a way to sell their services to foreign people. Andela with their $200 million fundraise, with their everything, are moving upstream and can't figure out a way to do that. Is there nothing there? And is the 1.4 billion number, so to speak, that Justin referred to, even a much bigger problem? Because it's clear that Andela has tried to solve that by giving people salary, MacBooks, four years of training, uh, or four-year program outsourcing them, and they still can't solve that. And they're not doing that anymore, right? And even though they're, and they're raising $200 million saying we are not doing that, right? We're going upstream, we're only hiring senior engineers, mm. so it's taking off the cream. Mm. So are we in more of a of a pickle than we think we are? Because if Andela can make it work with all the fundraising and all the positive press and all the relationships and generation and CZI and everybody at the cap table, and they're not even able to outsource those engineers, like, is there nothing there? Like, what is this outsourcing thing that even I was excited about last year? Like, are we, are we over, overestimating this? That's an interesting point, but it actually goes back to your early point about, um, you know, figuring out things over the long term and mm. a lot of business models fails and other, other ones coming to emerge on top of that. Mm. I think probably that was more of a commercial and kind of coordination problem around, okay, so how can we verify these guys? How can we, uh, you know, verify the output that these guys will produce? And they had a lot of problems around that. So right. maybe they pivoted into senior engineers. But I think someone someone is thinking about this 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 problem and you know likely a There's solution a lot of them. much. But that's a very valid point. Right. There's a lot of them now, talent kill decagon. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's a different model solves the same problem. But with Andela, it's more like they've fundraised, but they're not doing what I thought they would be doing, which is getting lots of people from my from University of Lagos jobs or University of Learning jobs, right? There are smaller companies doing that, but not no, none of them has raised $200 million, right? So yeah, if anyone has any interesting thoughts, insights on this, email us, uh, illuminateafrobilly.com, bankoidafrobilly.com. Uh, Justin, your email, people will spam you. Oh, okay, um, okay, 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 just, just Norm, just yeah, Norm. Yeah, okay, okay, not his personal. We'll, just, we'll give it, I want to see, see what people say. We'll give it. Okay. But then if, 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 if it's bad, I'm just going to forward all the emails to you. Um, <laughs> you're also, you're also going to get a lot of like, oh my God, Justin's voice. Oh my I God. Hope so. I hope Here so. we go again. Um, <laughs> At JPN at the flip.africa. Okay, okay. And then Samora, where can people reach out to you if they want to just, talk about this? Just, just samora.kayoki at gmail.com. Cool. You have all our public information, people. Don't misuse it. Okay. We thought that section, okay, inside baseball for our listeners. 
when I was doing the script, I thought that section we just went through would be 20, 30 minutes. We're an hour in. Oh my God. Amazing. All right. So next piece, what I would like to see in Africa tech in 2022, uh, who wants to kick us off? I'll just kick it off. Like I did the first time. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> brave man, brave man. <laughs> to top of his class and but, super brave. I had a few interesting uh, perspectives, you know, so one thing probably you should see more of is, um, uh, one, 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 you know, one pet peeve I have within the, the ecosystem is this whole, we are the enter American company of <laughs> Africa, of Nigeria, of, <laughs> of Kenya. And I think, I think that's just ridiculous. Like it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's largely because you can't have more different markets than American, from underlying infrastructure to consumption patterns to you know economic structure and all that right. kind of stuff. Right. So you know we should see more more founders you know building and communicating based on first principles. Right. And I think if they do, you're likely to have actually more you know interesting valuations down the line, because I find I find from my year of writing for FitTech, yes, a lot of VCs don't have the context, right? They don't right. really understand why these guys are doing what they're doing. Okay, so, so tomorrow, I tomorrow think, I, where I thought you were, you were going was, I thought you were going to say, instead of saying we are the stripe for Africa, I thought you'd say they would use yeah. an African company. <laughs> they say we're the flutter wave for Kenya. <laughs> Is that not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no? Okay. I mean, these things are different. So, yeah, I'd like to see less of that. We are there the Amazon of, of, of Ghana and stuff like that, and just say, this is how we are building logistics and fulfillment in Ghana. Um, so that's one thing. I think the second thing is largely around uh, deeper and bigger investments into you know, more logistics, B1, B2 type companies. Mm. So like of, you know, Max AB, Trade Depot, Cobo 360. Right. Guys were solving yeah. like more traditional problems mm. uh, because these problems are hard. And by nature, they require a lot of capital because right. the incumbents have built out a lot of capital over the long term. Right. And okay. So, so, so more on that point, I understand why investors don't want to invest in those areas because they're like, oh my God, I'm going to invest in company X and company X needs so much capital costs. They need to pay for roads or, or infrastructural materials. How would you convince, assume I'm an investor. So Olumide, I started a fund. How would you convince me to invest in those companies when at the back of my mind, I have a bias for asset light, SaaS, no inventory products. So how would you convince investors? Because because most of our listeners are investors, and I think they have a bias against the exact same businesses you're talking about. But interestingly, if you look at it, you know, if you look at, for instance, the company we're speaking about, Wave, they've done the hard work of like building out an agency network and all that stuff, right? So and 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 everyone is building out infrastructure, and right. and and the whole thing no, is no asset coming. light in Africa tech. I feel exactly. like that's yeah, think, that's I like a this, controversial opinion. Yeah, this asset light. Um, I think it's a, it's an economic fad. It's like, oh, you know, we want to be asset light, uh, but it's not based on any underlying like financial <laughs> economic, you know, <laughs> and you just, Amazon, and, and Facebook, why, Uber. Yeah. And that's why I say light. like, you know, there needs to be larger, you know, larger checks and more long-term capital around these industries. Right. And I think there's this guy, I think Paul Graham who talked about this thing of schlep blindness yes like when an industry is too complicated and yes. everyone just you know closes it out and i think that's one of the problems we're having well i was just going to say on schlep blindness the one example they always talk about is flexport and literally right now <laughs> right there's there's container ships piled up in fucking long oh Beach, my right? god so, i know like all the yeah. all the problems globally are actually the same right and and right. this yeah. whole thing right at the beginning of covid with mark injuries in writing like it's time to build, build. you know what i mean and then they just go and launch a crypto fund instead like <laughs> 
know what I mean? Like there's, and to, like to your point, like to just to what to say to investors, just to say, if, if you want like to not lose money, then we're going to have to do this. Yes. You know? Yes. And, 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 and so and, either invest or don't invest. Yeah. And I would also add a point to support what you said, Justin, what you said some more. I think investors, you have to think about it this way. You're going to make more money, like Justin said. And also, even though it seems like infrastructure is an additional cost, actually, it's a moat. If a company can build the infrastructure, they can pay the capital costs for buildings, bridges, whatever. Yes. Think about it. It's more, It's harder for another competitor to come and do the same thing, right? So don't think about it as a as a bad thing. Think about it as a defensive mode that actually encourages them to last longer and build more value because other people need money to do those things. Think about it. We did, thank you. We did it for Helium Health. Did this, right? Yeah. M Pharma yeah. bought the M Pharma bought the pharmacies. Um, almost every health tech did the pharmacies. Exactly, yeah. right. And Helium yeah. Health, they had to provide the internet and the computers. So yeah, uh, investors, please don't look at these things as negatives like Samor and Justin are, are, are saying. Think about it as defensive most will help the companies grow. And by the way, the actual end consumers need these things anyway. So it's not like, I mean, regardless of what you say, business is about creating products and services for end consumers, right? So it's not about what we want as investors or creators. It's about what the end consumers want. And they need the infrastructure. That's the point. And I think, and, and I think just to add on to this point, you know, and that's what I've been speaking about, like traditional industries. So if you look at, for instance, retail in, mm-hmm. in the States, so the whole idea of supermarkets and chain stores has been in existence for over 100 years, right? Um, supermarkets and such outlets in Africa, probably a 40, 50-year-old story at most, right? The same across a number of industries. So um, it's the kind of thing is like, if you are to build a logistics company, if you're to build a supermarket, if you're to build this now in 2021, with the kind of infrastructure that exists, what would you do? You'd end up with some of these companies like Trade Depot, Cobo 360, m and others, right? Right. So so it's like, you know, it's just commercial sense and there needs to be more investment into this. So so that's that. I mean, lastly, I think it's a it's it's an interesting point around fintech and regulation around fintech. Right. I think I, I I came across this institute in, in India called the Institute for Development and Banking, for Development and, and Banking yeah. Research Technology, basically IDRBT. And basically what these guys, these guys were set up by the RBI to investigate, I mean, to research on banking tech. Right. The Reserve and Bank of it, India, like a central bank. Exactly. Economy. Exactly. Right. And, and they, are the, they are the brain power behind innovations such as UPI and all these interesting uh, things. Yes, you wrote about this. This is one of your, your newsletter episodes. I read this. Exactly. And, yes. and for me, my view is that when you, when you engage with, let's say, African you know, central banks, they're behind on the technology side. So it's mm-hmm. like fintechs and market participants who are educating them about um, technology. And it's like they're always on the back foot. It's like, okay, you've told us this. Now let's go and think about this and it will come back to you. Whereas like in India, with the existence of you know, institutions such as IDRBT, it's like the RBI is actually ahead of the market in terms of their thinking and technology. And that's why you find that they are more progressive on regulation and everything. And my wish is that more central banks in Africa kind of set up these research institutes so that they can be ahead of the curve as opposed to you know, being behind the curve, like they need to know how do yes. we make crypto work? How do we make right. the cloud work? How do we make, you know, all these things work as opposed to be like, oh, there's this thing called the cloud. Okay, let's now try and figure it out. Right. So that's that's one of my wishes for 2022 on Londons. And if you're a listener and you want some consulting advice on this, reach out to Samora. He'll, he'll hook up your, your government and not mess it up. So Samora <laughs> is open for consulting gigs on this. <laughs> yeah, man. 
Yeah. I'm always available for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I love Justin, it. Justin or, or B Cakes, who wants to take us next? Uh, I can go. Okay. Um, go and, for it. and one of the things that I'd like to see, I'll, I'll bring this one to the front of the list just to piggyback off of Samora and, and regulation. You know, I, so I'm, I'm not a fintech guy. I just did a multi part fintech series where I truly learned at how onerous regulation is on a market by market basis. I, I wanted to try to quantify like the cost of being, you know, a fintech at scale across however many markets. And it was like literally an impossible exercise to do because price varies so much. You know, um, you have to, you have to, do capital requirements in this yeah. one and licensing you, know, you have to hire you have right. to hire an academic on your board in this country and Correct. you have to have you know 30 percent ownership in ghana and all of this different stuff right and like I, I was just thinking about that if we really want to see companies at scale and if fintech has like this implied necessity of scale there has to be more regulatory harmonization right 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 there has to be and, and so even just talking about each individual central bank being more progressive or whatever, like is not enough. I think there needs, there, they need to be talking to each other. I, I'm not interested in being the one that like helps that. Don't email Justin for consulting gigs. Justin is not open for consulting gigs. No, no, no. I, would, I wouldn't be able to help, but, but, the, but, the, but that's the, the, the reality is yeah, I, I think okay. that it's so it's onerous, point. so mm. onerous that we need to be talking not just about individual market by market, regulation but about regulatory harmonization across markets yeah on, on that point for, for, so, for super nerds that are listening uh india used to have a bunch of different states and all those states had different rules for tolls and taxes if you were moving cargo across different states and they went through a prog uh, a process to harmonize that to just one one rate one toll thing across the whole country and i read an article that showed the delta and increase on like productivity and movement and better business management so yeah banky i guess you're about to say something but for the audience check that out it's basically an indian yeah. example of what justin is saying but apply to a non-tech sector Justin, I was going to come back to your point. I think that's a great point. It's not enough for, even if, if you agree with CBDCs, for example, it's not enough for Nigeria to have a good CBDC and Inara. It is for Nigeria and Ghana and Sadao to have a re good relationship to figure out how are we going to do CBDC for this region or for this. Like it's not enough for just one country to have great regulations. If you say one is more um, fintech friendly or tech forward than the other, it's more important for them to partner because that's how you get to the deck of corn and the really big numbers. Like it has to work or it's going to be companies who are going to be super patient, long-term building, it's going to be wave, spending mm. five years in stealth right. and then big announcement and then another five years in stealth and a big announcement. And then wave becomes this supranational entity that are the only ones that can connect African country to African country because MTN can't do it and Safaricom can't do it. And the governments right. don't talk to one another in any case. It's only wave that you can use to do these things. Interesting. Right. Right. That, that's like one of the benefits of UPI in India, like governments set it up. It's got all the barriers. Now every fintech or finance company can just plug into that versus every company doing its own thing. When every company does its own thing with regulatory overhang, what happens is one company figures out a way to do it and they just become a monopoly. And then it's, it's the worst outcome. The, yeah. the, the crazy thing to me, right, this this also applies to, you know, like monetary policy, for example, and and like Ghana is surrounded by CFA countries and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I'm pretty sure you can't move the SETI directly into the CFA or vice versa. Like it goes through the dollar. Ecobank. And the only person that does Ecobank. I mean, you yeah. can't. Yes, Ecobank. <laughs> and, basically you can't. and literally every single one of Ghana's neighbors uses the CFA, Frank. 
Right. It's crazy. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Crypto. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> crypto, crypto is the answer. Okay. Uh, Justin, any other any other things you really want to see in 2022 yeah, apart I, from crypto? I've got I've got two more. So the other one I'll just get to quickly. We, we kind of talked about it earlier when I was bringing up Yoko, but I'd really like to see, you know, as we see more growth stage companies, I'd, I'd really like to see these growth stage companies just like acquire everyone. Like I just want Flutterwave <laughs> and Paystack and Yoko and MFS Africa it's on just my to list. start acquiring everybody. It's, it's on my like, list stop too. wasting my time. Stop uh, wasting. Honestly, I don't like your roadmap. Come on, do this roadmap. I don't like that yeah. roadmap. Come so, on, do so, this so, roadmap. So Justin, you know the way I framed it in my list? It's called more M&A, less talk. Because it's like every company is doing the same thing. We're slightly different. We have this nuance. Our customer target is different in this country. I'm like, come on. You're mostly the same. Get over. Either go out of business or have an MA. I agree 100%. It's just, will yeah. the investors- Hilom Health is doing that. Happy? Hilom Health is doing that, right? Yeah. The, the key question is, will the investors be happy with the MA outcome? Because if you expected 10, 20, 30x from your valuation entry point and the MA exit is 2x, you're like, oh, just keep going. Keep fighting. Even though the company may be better off just joining. So let's see how it goes. Uh, but but on this point of M&A, like one thing I've been thinking about, particularly in the African context, right? So the way you do tech and M&A, usually in China and Silicon Valley, mm. is if a company has some proprietary tech knowledge, you know, systems that you can't build out yourself and it makes more sense to buy. Mm. But then maybe in Africa, there's a lot of business model innovation that you don't need to buy. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily need to buy. And it makes more sense point. just do it yourself and right. that that could be why potentially you don't see as much m a because commercially you know it may not make you know all i need, or like all, all i need to do is basically start charging a delivery cash on delivery <laughs> replicate your entire business for example right. like, right. like i can buy your company who does cash on delivery or i can just add a button to my website right to right. Cash on delivery. okay but, but, but some more there is an angle which is a little bit different in silicon value versus here number one is talents you can do an acquisition yeah. just for talents and the second thing is geographical coverage <laughs> like even if you do the exact yeah. same thing if they're in east africa and west africa why not buy them? Are you really going to like start a new business in those countries? The countries yeah. are completely different. Forget that all that bullshit, Africa tech bullshit. It's so different that in those two yeah. circumstances with like talent and geographical coverage, it may make sense even with what, what you said. So let's see how it goes in 2022. Yeah. And I the, think particularly the talent payments, we'll see a lot of that because payments lend itself to M&A than any other industry. It's and I, and I was just going to say the, the, the talent piece, right? All these guys who are doing the sort of like remittance, cross-border, yeah. crypto, airtime, just everyone just merge. Stop, <laughs> stop wasting your time. I, I love it. Uh, the back only said once on one of the episodes that uh, he, he feels like a lot of the companies that are in Series B, Series C, Series D, they don't have an, enough engineers to take them to the next milestone. Where are you going to get engineers from? The other company that's doing the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. Really, that's the answer to what you said just, previously. <laughs> no, that's no, that's it now. I don't like your roadmap. I like your business. I just don't like your roadmap. You have engineers. I have your roadmap. I have more money than you. <laughs> Done. Let's do something. Sign. It's fine. Okay, Justin, I think you had one more point. Yeah, I, I do have one more. Um, so I, I like to think about uh, things in terms of narratives. And one thing that I've been thinking a lot about and actually writing a lot about is like, the terms that we use to define things across the continent. So we talk about like informal markets, for example, when the informal market is like 80% of the economy, right? It's just the market. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, back to this thing about like, where are the jobs going to come from, right? If it's not informal work, it's just work, right? And so when we change 
the the narratives or or our perception of of like the realities on the ground then what happens in terms of how people try to build for these these realities right i i went through my own journey of understanding with markets where you know i was looking through the american lens and wondering if we were going to see like retail consolidation at the last mile right mm-hmm. you know there's there's big box stores they have purchase right. greater purchasing power would that reduce the price of goods and it you know it had to be explained to me by a lot of different people the reason why these markets look the way that they do is because of you know not everyone has cars lack of cold storage uh low purchasing power you know just ur- mass urbanization you know everything is as increasing and so there needs to be informal you know I see Evan did it. Fragmented retail to you know better serve better serve these these markets, right? And so just if we look at that, instead of calling them like informal retailers, they're just convenience stores, right? Everyone loves to talk about how convenient convenience stores are in Taiwan. So what's the right. difference? Right. And what happens when you say you know we're building for last mile convenience stores versus like we're building for last mile informal markets? Mm. And you know maybe maybe there there shouldn't yeah. actually be as much of an issue with the word informal, but I think just the narratives around like the realities on the ground and how we look at them and how the world yeah. looks at them what happens when we sort of respect these markets a little bit more and respect the reason why things are happening and respect the fact that there are structures they just look different mm. um you know i, I mm. think i think some good let, things will happen let, in yeah. that way let me awesome. let me even take that one step one step further like that's, that's a great point i think there's there's a lot of entrepreneurs as entrepreneurs tend to do is build for the world as they want it to look like there's not enough of building for the world as it is Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of people dragging customers into the future, but if you don't know why something exists or why people think about like why going to the market is a very different purpose or why e-commerce is not really solving a problem that exists as does not exist as much in African markets as it is in say in the US for example, it's just different different use cases and different jobs to be done. Um, I think that there's not enough people building for the world as it is. There are more people building for a new world of where everybody orders everything online and everybody uses an app for something and there's not enough people building for the world as it is. I think that's where it comes from terminology, where it's like, oh, all of this other stuff, using the commerce example, it's all informal. It's all bad. But this other stuff is where I'm really going to. And let's get more of this stuff into this stuff. Very interesting point. I think it, it actually feeds into what I was saying about like first principles, thinking about problems and you know, solving for, for the world as it is. And, you know, actually, if you, if you zoom out and even look at it, it's actually a problem many African governments have. <laughs> and this, I think there's this American economist called Kenneth Galbraith or something who said, you know, like yeah. symbolic modernism. He said the problem with countries like India and Africa is that we are developing uh, from, from a symbolic perspective where we want to look like Europe and the States, right? Mm. So we want the outcome to be how these countries look Hmm. instead of like how they actually function hmm. and uh, and i think the point now on this is that it's true like a lot of narratives around informal you know trade and everything for instance look at africa infrastructure development you have a situation where most people walk right so like most hmm. people in lagos and nairobi hmm. in accra walk to where they go hmm. but you know governments are still so you know, convinced about building these freeways and, you know, multiple highways, whereas most people... So nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and and that's, I mean, that's a very good point, Justin. Yeah. I think if you're interested in more, like the book, I read a book that talks about this concept a lot more. The government points you mentioned, it's called Seen Like a State. I can't remember the author, but it's a pretty good book about government wants to make things legible and how government rules don't necessarily reflect what people want or what, um, what economies 
what the people want, how how business actually happens, tends mm. to be more focused on legibility and being able to harvest stuff for taxes. Um, very interesting point on 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 developing in a different way. Far okay, Banky, you want to take it? You, you're already talking. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, I can go. I, I feel like the major thing I, I I thought about is really having people solve hard problems. Mm-hmm. I like I, I can think of a, a Cambrian ex- explosion as we have in fintech. Um, and get something like that for health tech or ed tech. I just there's just not still enough at scale. Like mm. if I if I asked everybody to name two telemedicine companies or two ways to get telemedicine in African <laughs> countries, right? There's just not there's not a lot there's not a lot of those. There's just not a lot of different options. There's, and it's a fairly straightforward problem, but there are strong challenges that are structural. I would love to see just much more of these hard problems. Um, to earlier conversation, it's going to require a lot of capital. It's mm. going to have a long payoff payback period. But as far as customer utility, as far as ability to make money and the um, prioritization of those costs in a customer's wallet, right. it's actually a significant opportunity. Like if you're sick, everything else, nothing else matters. Like you need to be well to work. And therefore you are like first lean on their wallet. Like other than vice, vice startups like betting or, or, or even lending, if you will, depending on how many things lending is a vice startup. 100%. But other, than, than, other than lending or, or betting, I think that that's a strong, a strong, opportunity that is just purely like untapped like parents want the best for their kids and just no good no good options for them to to pay or to get something for that i think that's one big thing that i'm really before you you go to the next one it's interesting that what you said is very similar to what samora said even though he framed it as logistics slash infrastructure and i haven't yet gone to my list i have one i call it um emergence of non-fintech startups and I put my money is on a massive health tech or ed tech round. But I think we all sort of have the yeah. same themes, even though we have slightly yeah, different yeah. framing. Um, because it's sort of like yeah. fintech is important, but we have a lot of other problems to solve. To solve, and why can't other people solve it? And why can't we make progress on those things instead of doubling, tripling, going all the way down to like yeah. an API to add a specific feature to an existing fintech app? It's like three steps removed from the customer. Like the API for another fintech app to serve a B two B serve to a customer. So like you know, people are dying of like malaria and other health course, uh, causes and like yeah. who don't have education. So anyway, Banky, sorry for interrupting you. I just thought it was was interesting no, to think good. about those issues. So you better be investing in these companies though. Oh, I, I, in the, yes, in I absolutely am. In fact, in fact- We're going to hold you accountable though. I will be 100% accountable. The, the first couple of emails I got is, is your fund going to be a, a fintech fund? And my response was always, no, 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 no. It's any company that has a, yeah. a focus to help customers, I will invest in you. Not necessarily fintech. I, I'll leave that to the fintech specialist. Shout out to Hayden from RallyCap and our other Some friends. Are. I'll leave that to you yeah. guys. But, by by <laughs> the way, I just also want to add, I'll add in addition to health tech and, and ed tech, people that are trying, companies are trying to reduce the cost of food. <laughs> yes, that's, yes, that's, agric- yeah, yes really agriculture important. and food. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Trigger. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I find that a lot of those, those businesses don't get the same amount of capital and put to a lesser, lesser priority, lesser kind of importance is a lot of B2B innovation, right? I think there's just a lot of businesses that if you talk to any of these major companies and anybody who knows any of the major Nigerian companies, let's call it GT back, um, just to pick a regular like company that I don't like, um, they will have internal teams building custom software like for all kinds of strange use cases, right? Versus using stuff off the shelf. And because they can afford to, and because it's a progress, it's a project for somebody to take on, they're going to hire three engineers and do stuff. There's a lot of things that are happening inside Africa's businesses that are medium, not the, not, not the mom and pop shops, that are medium businesses that do yes. logistics, that do shipping, that have been around for 50 years, that are just inefficient processes that are currently solved poorly by humans. Mm. Like I talked to... Um, 
I think a few years ago, I was concerned with this um, CEO of like a major manufacturing company in Nigeria. And he was basically like the only thing he wants to solve is like warehouse waste and spoilage and theft from his warehouse. Like biggest problem. I thought it would be something like something else. And I was like, no, I just need something to help me figure out that people don't steal the stuff I keep in my warehouse. Like that is my biggest problem. If I solve that, I can turn this business around. Wow. And nobody's building that. But versus if you're in the, if you're in, startups aren't thinking about that a lot. But if you're in the US, there's like, there's Verkada, which does camera tracking, tell you people are sleeping, tell you who's coming in, add AI on top layer stuff. Um, I just find that a lot of those use cases for businesses, um, less important, at least objectively than healthcare, or edtech or agtech, but I just find that that's what my optimi- optimism is, is. I think that those kind of, right. the market, the time may not be as big, but the price, you know, but your take rate can be very high. Right. You and, can still build like a good business. And for the audience, just so you know, we're not just talking about this. Email me, olumide.afroglue.com. Send the decks. We are dead. I am dead serious about this. I'm not just talking. I'm actually very, very interested in literally yeah. sending you money and funding you if you have a good idea on this. On, on send, that point, send me decks too. You know, one, one, <laughs> yes. one potential... <laughs> One potential angle is this, you know, it's it's interesting. We 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 are both talking about the same thing. And potentially, maybe why there's so much focus on fintech is that young founders are more likely to encounter financial problems and they have to understand, <laughs> you know, issues around warehouse management, logistics, supply chain, and all yeah. those other hard problems. Yeah. And potentially we should also kind of try and, and encourage more senior founders, you know, someone who's in yeah. their 40s who's you know, worked in these industries and more, more, knows the problem properly yeah. to kind of now, you know, start startups. Because I don't think a 21-year-old is going to have the same kind of insights into some of these traditional industries. Right. Uh, yeah. Like an older pro- professional. 100%. I have a question. So I, I'm, I'm also, you know, I just talked about food. You guys said Twiga Foods, co-founded by Peter and Jonjo, who was like the CEO of Coca-Cola, yeah. West Africa. Yes. Right? He yes. also, I know, like mortgaged his house in order to finance the company. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Like just such an incredible story. But I wonder, you know, I'm, I also went through a, a, a period of time where I was obsessed with this um, company called Entrepreneur First that invests, like yeah. does talent investing. And, and their yes. whole model was how do we get like really like niche experts to go and start a business? Right? Yes. Um. I wonder to what extent, you know, to your point, some more like maybe there even needs to be like a sort of like new age search fund, right? Where right. people identify these problems and then you go and you get the talent and you say, please leave your corporate job. It's yes. this is going to be so much better. Yes. It's going to be hard, but you're going to make more money. Yeah. And, actually, I, I, like, and we'll de risk it for you. Needs you. Yeah, we'll de risk it for you. So if, if, any, if you're working on this, if you're working in a related industry, email one of us. We have all our email addresses. We're not going to repeat it. We're very interested in either yeah. directly funding, helping you think about yeah. it. We don't do any age discrimination, whether you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Just contact one of us. I really want to talk to people about In fact, even if you're not interested in yeah. doing a startup, if you just want to talk yeah. about it with someone, email one of us. Yeah, I think it's happening. Um, like I have friends who like I went to high school or university with and who, who reached out and talk about stuff and because they work in proximity. I, I think it's, there's a, there hasn't been a better time to be an African founder. It's not great, but uh, you know, not to say that it's great or easy, but it's, it's the easiest it's ever been. Right. right. And, and, and I, to your point, Tamara, about, um, yeah, the founders don't have any perspective on the fact that people are stealing from warehouses and it's costing 20% of, of EBITDA margin. It's just warehouse theft. Right. Um, nobody has that perspective. And, there's this availability bias. So everybody's going to do, like I know a startup that has people riding bicycles in like Lagos traffic. 
I, I'm not making any judgment call about whether that's a good idea or not, whether it's going anywhere, but you can see that as an opportunity because you're in that traffic every single day. You're like, well, if I had a bicycle, it costs less than a motorcycle, and I can do short, dense deliveries, and maybe that's a business. And yeah, because it's available to you, but it doesn't make it any more valuable because right. it's easily available to you. I think that's a very common bias. Cool, cool. But thank you. Was that your last one? Yeah, I, I would say I would say that's it. The second okay. one we've talked about a lot. Um, okay. It's more about building much more layer two startups, but right. I think that will just happen organically. And I like I like the layer two reference, just sliding that crypto reference straight up. So by the <laughs> way, for to explain, like layer two in crypto means like there's a um, blockchain, if you will, that does all the transactions. Layer two is things you build on top of the blockchain. So like a smart contract is, tends to be like layer two and the people like Lightning Network on top of blockchain is layer two as well. But those things only work because of the blockchain under it. So, and the idea is that blockchain is not great for it's not fast and capacity has some shortcomings and you build layer two to solve it. 100%. And with startups in Africa, you know, fintech is fine. So you have a whole payment to so collect payments in Flutterwave, Paystack, Yoko, MFS Africa, all of these businesses. So you can build yourself on top, um, which is great, which you're gonna see a lot more of now. Okay, okay. I will I'll round us up. Okay, so things I would like to see in Africa Tech 2022. So I have a bunch of points. I'll blitz through them. The first one, I, I'm surprised no one mentioned this, but I think a lot of people have it on their minds is founders investing in other founders. Um, what, what, what do I mean by this? I feel like if you are a tech startup founder, I'm super curious to understand the model of you using your relationships, connections, to invest in other founders. There are already some examples of this. So um, I know Odun is doing this. Uh, she works, she's, you know, she's part of Piggy Vest, but she also runs First Tech Africa. I know GB is doing this with Flutterwave, although it's indirectly through Angel Check. So there are a bunch of people. I think it's almost inevitable. And I'd love to see and some. And the Human Health this. guys as well. With ah, yes, Human Health. Thank you. Goke has um Magic Fund, right? So there are a bunch of examples. I'm excited to see this for number one. More investors drive more entrepreneurs. And then number two, these investors have even more relationships so they can make um, their investments faster. First thing. Second thing is emergence of non-fintech startups. I'm not going to repeat that. I already said it before. More M&A. We said that previously. Um, more funds focus on Africa. I feel like every every once in a while I talk to someone is like, oh my God, you're raising a fund. I thought this other person was raising a fund. I'm like, you don't understand. The entrepreneurs need the money. There's no such thing as too, too many funds because there's so many problems to solve. So I'm excited. If you're thinking about raising a fund, I've been going through this for the past couple of weeks and months. It's a hellish process, but I'd love to chat about you, chat with you about the process. It's um, we need more people writing checks to help the entrepreneurs because the whole ecosystem needs entrepreneurs to be excited about solving problems. Um, yeah, I also have one uh, more exits, but I think that's an obvious one. So any other uh, thoughts before we roll into the next thing for 2022? Just one thing I'll add, you said, you know, founders investing in founders, and we know yes. that GB has become a prolific angel. Yes, he's a legend. And I said that I just want uh, growth stage companies to acquire everyone. What I'm really just hoping is that he just acquires you know, Flutterwave. Just he needs to stop with the angel investing and just buy these companies. Shout out! You, th you think every Friday afternoon he like Shout blocks out. one hour in his calendar to read all the um, monthly updates they send him? Like, oh. hmm, I like your TPV. Drop that guy. Take a look at this guy. Shout, shout out to, to, to GB. GB, if you're listening, uh, we are big fans. Send us some of your decks. We'd love to co-invest with you. We're big fans. Okay. Uh, this part of the podcast is going to be just more fun. Miscellaneous Q&A. So the way we're going to do it is I will call out one person. I'll call the person's name. Then three of us will ask the person questions. Uh, so if I call Rapid your name, fire. Don't yeah, think about it too much. Ra rapid fire. Don't think about it too much. So like, for example, if I say Samora, I will go first. I'll ask you a question. You answer. Then just don't ask you a question. You answer. But don't think about it too much. It's just supposed to be fine. Okay. Let's start. Samora has always started. Let's start with, let's start with Justin. Okay. Justin, are you ready? No. No. <laughs> okay. We'll take that as a yes. One of your favorite things to do in Cape Town. <laughs> Ooh. 
Uh, I mean, just be outdoors, hiking and the beach. I, sh- I should I should also say, I I spent the first half of lockdown in Johannesburg, and those who have been to Johannesburg know that there's not really much like outdoor activities and walking. Mm-hmm. So I think in in general now, and I think we might be going into a new lockdown actually pretty soon here in in South Africa. But the the good thing about doing that in Cape Town is you always have the mountains, and even if the beaches are closed, you know you can you, you it's not as easy to go stir crazy here as it is uh in in many other cities in the world well, i'm in cape town in two weeks i think given everything that's happened in the last couple of days we'll see we'll that's see fine. if, if that trip actually happens if you yeah you might not be able to go anywhere after but it's it's fine to come here so if, if <laughs> yeah, you come down yeah. here please hit me up imagine you no longer have to work how would you spend a tuesday <laughs> yeah to be honest it's funny i used to say that i all i want to do is to get paid to like network and learn mm-hmm. and this is gonna be like such a stupid like con- like boring thing but it's like i kind of figured out how to do that you know um so so i'm doing something that i i i um uh that that i enjoy and is fun so i would i would in many ways probably spend my tuesday doing the same thing there's just definitely aspects of you know running a, a niche media company or a podcast that i would rather have somebody else do but you know the talking to a lot of founders and learning about what's happening on the ground. I, I do a lot more traveling as well, but um, okay. otherwise okay. I'm, I'm quite enjoying. Uh, uh, Justin, today. what is the best thing and the worst thing about having a podcast? The The best thing is just getting to like actually ship work that people listen to. Hmm. It's, wild. it's wild that people listen to like this thing that you do, you know? Right. Um, it's absolutely wild. So, so just to, to get the emails of people saying like, oh, that was so interesting or whatever. Like I, I, it really touches me. So you can email me that stuff. We want to put my email address out. Email, email me that you like the flip. Um, the, the, the worst thing is just, um, well, there's, there's two, I mean, sometimes, uh, like just, just like l- doing all the listening back and the editing and like, like the actual work is hard oh. you know, to do this narrative style show that I do as well. So for those who haven't listened, you know, I, I, um, modeled our show after Freakonomics. So every episode of this is a theme and we, we explore the theme from a variety of different perspectives. And so it's not like this conversational episode, it's very narrated and, and cut up and right. to do that work is hard right and and sometimes like i'm just listening back to somebody speak and i'm just like you know but and and then the other thing i don't i don't know if you guys like all of you really have 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 found this out but you know the the podcast for me started as just like a fun mechanism to learn without expectation Mm. you know and and now there's like a different level of stress Mm. that exists (laughs) because i have to like i have like a contractual obligation with my sponsors to ship work right you know, and shout and out to MFS Africa for paying Justin yeah, they, MFS. Well, they, well played, sirs. My, they pay my rent. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Zama and Dari. I'll send you this. Um, but, but, but seriously, like even, even just like the, the sort of expectation that you create in your head in terms of, uh, you know, like having an audience and, mm. and them having expectations yeah. that you continue to put out quality. Oh, I feel you. It's man. actually a hard thing, you know, and, oh. and, and I shouldn't complain because like I said before, I'm getting to do something that I, that I quite enjoy, but it's, it can nonetheless be um, some self-induced stress. Oh man, you, you're famous now. One of the emails we received, so Bankway and I, we have a two week release uh, cadence. So by the, something that happened, it's one of our episodes where we couldn't release till the third week, a lady, amazing lady sends us an email. Oh, 
I noticed you haven't released an episode in three weeks. Is there anything I can do to help? Is everything okay? I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad. Bank, you want to go for Justin? Then, then I'll round yeah. this up. Justin, what's a current trend that you just don't understand? <laughs> like I, I don't understand it or I don't understand why it's a trend. Same, same. I just don't get it. Uh, yo, you're catching me very off guard. I know. I, well, we we kind of talked about this already, but I don't get why so many companies are doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> shout uh, out, shout out to my crypto remittances companies. I see all all seven thousand of you sending me your just, decks. Stop sending me your decks. I don't get it. Just merge. Just merge. <laughs> I don't get it. Just merge. Every, every crypto remittance down. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Every time I, I see it. the decks, I'm like, I don't understand. Didn't ChipperCast start doing this two and a half years ago? I don't understand. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm, I was about to start ranting, but I'm not. I'm going to I'm not gonna rant. But still send me your decks. I love okay. you guys, but please stop. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, so so for me, Justin, my question is a long one. So basically, you're a young, attractive American man living in South Africa. I just want to understand, what do you think, what were your childhood experiences what was the single childhood experience that you think made you want to do something related to journalism or podcasting or your current career? Well, was there something that happened to you? Because I, I saw you studied um, comms, PR stuff in college, but is there any other experience? Because your career tra- trajectory is quite unique in that I'm looking at Samora. Samora looks like me. Banky looks like me. You're, you're a special you're a special snowflake in South Africa. It's so awesome what yeah. you're doing. So um, I, I was always sort of, generally interested in media. I, I actually right. um, started my career in the sports industry, but while I was still in college, I interned for the media relations department of the Mets. So I'm, I'm from mm. New York, but I, at that point in time, mistook, I, I made a mistake about working in media relations and like <laughs> working in the media. So I was like, yo, this sucks. I don't want to do this. Um, That's funny. But, but then like, I, I always had like a proclivity for writing. And I think I was always sort of like, curious the the story of how i ended up in south africa was you know i have a good friend from undergrad who was born and raised in johannesburg i visited him in 2016 just had like this real like intimate local experience with south africa like as one has when they visit a place where they know somebody who's born and raised there versus just a touristy experience Hmm. and at the time i was my sort of priorities were changing with regards to my career and i said you know if i was going to ever live abroad maybe now's the time south africa is the place right and then i sort of just got curious about what was happening in the startup ecosystem and realized that i didn't know anything you know and (laughs) in cape town no one else knows anything either you know um and well and so much cape town shade that I agree with, by the way. If you have any hate email, just email Justin <laughs> at affability.com. He, he will yeah. respond from his affability email address. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I've always been curious, right? And right. this is just an opportunity to 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 be curious. And it's not like um maybe maybe it's confirmation bias, maybe I've convinced myself, but like I I I genuinely believe that people should be taking bets on. African markets. I genuinely believe yes, that like, yes, there's yes. a lot to grow. Like I'm, I'm, I just posted, I had a viral tweet the other day because I was criticizing this like South African travel ban. Right. So, so, but like, I, I am like, I find myself like genuinely and fundamentally like disagreeing with like the Western approach to African markets. Right. Mm. And, and maybe, um, you know, maybe I've become South African or African or, or whatever in, in Seoul. Um, 
but like I like I I and and maybe there's some degree of like me always inevitably being an outsider that has helped me see things differently. I think that's that's probably the case, but amazing. Um, it's been just yeah a, a combination of curiosity and and always being a little bit skeptical and always being wanting to be a little bit um uh, like divergent um or disagreeable like all of these things sort of put into one that has ended up you know with me here today amazing thank you so much i'm so thank you for sharing this story it's funny i because i've listened to all the episodes i've heard bits and pieces of it because you talk about it on the flip but i've never heard it directly from you in a live conversation okay yeah. so next up let's do some more so okay how would you describe your job to a five-year-old <laughs> I think I just tell them that I help people figure things out about the intersection between finance and technology. Ooh, I don't know if a five-year-old would understand that, but but yeah, that's how I describe it. Hmm. Interesting. I like that. I want I want to get your perspective just on going from working in a bank to fintech. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very good question. I think I think. You know, I've gotten to see the best of both worlds um, in the sense that a bank is a risk machine and everything is built to manage risk. Mm. So by nature, it cannot innovate the way it should. Mm. And you kind of need outsiders to come and innovate. But at the same time, fintechs still need to understand the, the responsibility that comes with managing people's money. So I think... For me, that was the most interesting thing. But what I like more about fintech is, and it fits into my personality, is just being able to think outside the box, do things, fail, iterate, do things again. And, and I wish banks could do that a bit more. I think that's that's very critical. Okay. For me, what do you think was the decision that's made the biggest impact in your life so far? Wow. Um, Single decision. Don't, don't cheat and say, oh, I did ABC. Yeah, so I think I think when I was finishing university back in South Africa, mm. I was offered a research position, mm. uh, which was paying pretty well compared to what I'd get in the market. Um, but I didn't take that up, and I went I went went back to Kenya and you know started from like ten percent of what I was going to earn as a research assistant. But I think what that did is that just got me into the game, got me into the commercial game. And uh, I think that was a very important decision to make. Had I done that, I think I'd be some shitty professor. <laughs> <laughs> You'd make a great professor. That's Shout out to our professors. The, Shout out to the, if you. The, if you have any hate emails, some more at afrobility.com. Send all the hate. The, the line is so thin, right? The one little decision. Your life right? you can be a, a, Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, professor Advitz. Interesting. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So let's do it. newsletter related or banky if you don't have any. Oh, non. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Who's who? Um, Samara. Who's the most famous person you have ever met? <laughs> Alumide. <laughs> wow. Apart from people on this call, I love it. On this call. <laughs> no, I, I love it. Actually, actually, I think I, I think I met I met I met Stephen Gerrard back when I was in UK, like oh, so many years shit. ago. Ooh. And dope. that was that was pretty dope. That was pretty dope. I think I also met, yeah, but that, yeah, I think Steven Gerrard is the most interesting. I love it. But it's more like Next a story. bumped into him. <laughs> okay, he, he was in the toilets. Are you not from the door? And you're like, I, I need to use the toilet. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All right, just a question for, for Samora. <laughs> 
newsletter question. Yes, newsletter question. So I want to know how you come up with all of your ideas because ah, yes. they are vast and and uh, diverse, and I sometimes feel jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, what I do is that uh, I think initially I had a very detailed content calendar. And for me, it's just like something I need to understand more, right? Like that's how I started initially. So first of all, it was open banking, got into payments, digital mm. lending, all that kind of stuff, neo banks. So essentially, I read a lot. I read like every morning. I read a lot, and mm. if there's something I, I simply don't understand properly to speak of, you know, to to kind of think about it holistically, I just set it as a as a subject. And, and then I spend most of my evenings, you know, like an hour or two reading, reading about it. And if I have a deep enough opinion, I then write an article about it. Wow. So, so you don't even try to op- optimize for what you think other people would find interesting. It's mostly what you're trying to learn about. That's, I didn't no, expect I, that answer. I don't think about it because that, 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 would, that would be inauthentic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I know it sounds... But but the thing is, like, it's, it's a very tricky, and I'm sure it's a it's very tricky balance that I'm sure all of you guys find, is that there's a very thin line between the kind of authenticity you create for your audience 100%. and just commercializing it. 100%. And if you just move too much into commercial, it'll lose a lot of value. Right. So, yeah. Okay. I agree uh, with that, by the way. I think I so as well. It's very interesting because it comes through if you're not excited to do something. 100%. Yeah. Hundred percent. In fact, not only does it come through, you won't even be happy about it. You won't prepare properly. You won't talk to the right people. You just won't give a shit. Okay. The same question I asked Justin: What is the best and worst thing about having a newsletter? Some more. I think I'd say it's it's, it's similar to Justin. Okay, for me, I think the best thing is just the, the number of people I meet. It's, mm. it's, it's crazy the kind of people you meet when you're in this space. Um, and I think it goes back to the whole concept of, about networking. And, you know, we always thought about networking as meeting as many people as you can. But I think you slowly start to realize that to be a proper networker, it's actually about how much value you're adding to other people. Yes. And I think from the, from the newsletter, it's like I'm adding value to people and people want to meet me and I'm growing my network and my, and my, my, yeah, my connections. I think also on, you know, the difficult part is just, you know, consistency is hard, right? Like <laughs> consistency is super hard. I found myself like in an airport at four o'clock in the morning, you know, typing and or, or, you know, or, or like, in, in in Hawaii with shitty internet where your video off. Exactly. That also works. <laughs> exactly. Or you know, yeah. put oh, your yeah. kid to sleep and then you go back and type until two o'clock, oh, two o'clock man. in the morning. Yeah. So yeah, consistency is hard. Like it's hard work. And um yeah, I mean that that's one of the most difficult aspects of it. So, Samora, on that last point, I'll tell a story. I haven't told this story before. Uh, Bank, even you haven't heard this story. So our episode on Safaricom, uh, a.k.a. Mpesa episode. So I've been preparing, I've been preparing. And then the night before, I'm like, man, I haven't prepared enough. So I stayed up all night, guys. I literally did not sleep. I was reading this and this and report and report and report. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And, and obviously, the episode the episode went well. It was one of our best episodes. But just like sometimes it just it just takes so much out of you to prepare. So I, I feel I feel you on that one. Justin, do you have any examples of a preparation or finalizing episodes that took over your, your personal life? Like literally every week. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Justin's girlfriend for hanging in there. I, I, I recently, so I, I, we're in the middle of a season right now. We publish on Thursdays. Mm. It just so happened that 
three of the first four weeks, I was flying on Thursday. Oh, man. And it was brutal and miserable. And I said, I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to move my flight next week. And I, did, I didn't move my flight next. It's the same thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm typically finishing when we, we publish on Sundays a newsletter episode Sunday morning. Like, so yeah, it's uh, this just how it works out, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, the consistency, I think, is quite important. I feel like it's one of those um, standard conversations in my household, which is, are you recording tomorrow? Because um, it just affects everything else that happens. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Uh, questions for, for Bankole. We'll do, so Samora, uh, Justin, and then myself will ask Bankole questions. So we do non-podcast related. Samora, hit us. I, I will so, hit Banky. I think some of these questions go to both you and, and, and Bankole. So like, oh, 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 actually, just take so, so you know what, even maybe better. we should take it. We, we, okay. I ask can ask both. you guys. I have questions for both you guys as well. Ah, okay. So think, we'll, we'll answer. We'll answer. Yeah. So I think that the, the podcast question is kind of the same for both of you, okay. but like the individual questions could be different. Okay. So starting with the non-podcast related is, you know, mm-hmm. Bankle, settle this debate for once and for all for the rest of us Africa. <laughs> Which is the best jollof? Is it the Ghanaian? <laughs> uh, you already don't know. You already know. I, mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have any trips planned to Ghana or Senegal in the near future. So I'll say, I'll be honest and I'll say it with my chest. If you're looking for me, come and find me in Lagos. I roll deep. Uh, of course, it's Nigerian jollof. Don't give me that Ghana jollof. That Senegal jollof that tastes like everything that I, ah, I can't even say it out loud. I love Senegal, please. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, you already know the simple I, I answer. Thought, I thought you'd be biased, but uh, but thanks. It's not bias, it's just facts. This is a scientific experiment. Having spent a lot of time in Ghana and a lot of time in Senegal, there's only mm. one clear winner. <laughs> By the way, Ghana is at the bottom. It's Nigeria, then Senegal. <laughs> Ghana is absolutely like, Jalof is not. Come at me. <laughs> yeah. Nemo at Afrobility.com. Let's do this. <laughs> I have. Okay. I actually have a. It's funny. I actually have a one of my answers on Quora, where I used to be on Quora heavily back in the day. It was about Ghana and Nigeria Jalof. So occasionally I get a notification about hit mail on that answer. It's very interesting. <laughs> I love it. I'm built for this. Okay. All right. All right. So, so more. You want to do all your questions, or you want to go back and forth with Justin? Justin, you want to pop in, or some more? You want okay. to do all your questions? I can. I think I can Justin. Pop in. Okay. So. So. I just, I'm impressed with both of you guys, your, your educational background. <laughs> so I just want to know, Olamide, do you, do you have a brass rat class ring from MIT and do you wear it? And Benkole, do you, how often do you tell people that you went to Harvard Business School? Have you seen that meme about like the guy, like people who go to school, who go to Harvard, try not to say that they went to school in Boston and the vein popping yes, up on the forehead. I have friends that do that. <laughs> <laughs> let me know you want to go or should i go uh, I'll, I'll go so yes actually i do have a ring and it's funny because the ring basically has two sides the mit side and then my degree side but i don't wear it because i used to wear it but it affects my typing because the ring is clicking the keyboard so i don't know how people do it i'm like how the hell it's, it's so annoying so i have it but i, I, don't, I don't wear it i just yeah. want to add my stepdad went to mit and he wears <gasps> the ring and he has a brass rat vanity plate <laughs> My man, oh my shout out, shout out. If you're listening, send the hate email, justin at afrobility.com, for real. You get a bounce back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the business school stuff doesn't come up very often. So like, there's, there's no need to bring it up. Um, it, I, I, I don't feel any kind of way about it. I just think that it's more projected than it is an actual problem for me. Like if it comes up, it comes up. 
you're just not one of those guys that needs to tell everybody. I guess that's the point. No, no, not even. But there are. Uh, I'm even. sure you have classmates like that, though. Do you see any fundamental? I don't know if, if you're doing the fun together, but do you see any fundamental uh, conflicts between running a fan and a podcast? Yes, I'll take it because I, I'm the one doing the fun. Mm-hmm. In fact, not okay. only not only are there not any issues, it's actually quite complimentary because yeah. I'm yeah. already doing fucking. 20 hours of research every week on these companies. I already know most of the entrepreneurs and the VCs and the founders, and I'm already doing angel investments. So it's almost as though, unless I want to spend all my own money and be completely broke, it's naturally synergistic. The only area where it could become a little bit of an issue is if we select companies we discuss based on the fund, right? Like I invested in company X, therefore we discuss them, but that's not going to happen. So I think it's mostly synergistic. And the only area where it could be is not something we're going to do. Now, there would be some coincidences where, I invest in a company and by coincidence, we're going to do the episode anyway. But in that case, I'll just say explicitly, I invested in the company. For example, we did agriculture and I invested in relief and I said it, I invested in relief. I like them. I like Kenna. And in fact, uh, they were on uh, the, the the flip. We're, we're all like one family. I love it. Everyone is the same. Yeah. Company. Anyway, long answer, short answer is n- not really, mostly synergistic. Yeah. And it's I, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Pardon? Go ahead, Samar. So I was saying it's interesting that you're starting to see this new class of creator investors you know with like Paki M Paki McCormick yeah yeah I I I I also invest I I that is a good question I think as as long as we're very clear about our biases and we're talking about book I don't think we're very clear very often that we don't give investment advice like our, mm. our we don't try to be balanced right. we don't try to be unbiased like we give a strongly biased point of view and everything we see on the podcast is our opinion. And if you disagree with us, that's reasonable. Um, I think where, where it starts to become dodgy is if we try to be objective, like state the facts and we try to be objective, but you know, in the back, we're like holding those investments. I think that we're, our podcast is much more bankoli things or illuminate things, you know, yeah. it's like, I would tend to be much more abrasive and much more judgmental. Um, so I think it kind of, there's less of a conflict there, but I definitely, I'm, I think about it a lot. I think about it a lot. Like, at what point do we start? Is my opinion of something colored by the fact that I'm investing in a competitor, for example? Right. And I have a very clear thesis that they're not they're going to win in the market. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing I'll add about this is, in fact, a lot of the LPs I talk about for the fund, right? Mansion Fund, they like the fund because I have the podcast. So in a way, it's yeah. also sort of the same to them. You're there, you're in the market, you spent uh, two and a half hours with Justin Norman and Samora. You know mm. these people, talk to the startups and give them money if, if they have any sense. So it's very, very complimentary. And I would advise all creators, not you don't have to do a fund like I'm doing, but just think about a way to make the business side of it so you can continue to do what you like. Because yes, you can say, oh, I don't care about business, I don't care about economics, but then how are you going to fund, fund your passion? It's not free, right? Like. The, the hosting, the mics, the recording, the staff, it, it's tricky. Yeah. Like Justin is going to find around Africa. Someone, some corporate, please email Justin. Justin at the flip about Africa. <laughs> anyway. Um, but the, yeah. the, the, the thing I'll, I'll add to that, though, is like there is emerging this like default path for like solo creators or niche creators, right? And so, so right. like I, I also um, plan to as like a, a next year objective to invest a lot more. Yes, um, yes, Justin, we're um, with you. I'm sending, I'm sending Justin deal flow. If you have any yeah, decks, send it to four yeah. of us. We want your deal and, flow. And, yeah. and if you, if you liked my answers better than everyone else's, <laughs> then send me deal flow specifically. <laughs> right. As long as you have something for for yeah. for, for your founders in Cape Town. 
as long as you send it to Justin at Afrobility.com, you can send him all the all the decks you want to that email address. <laughs> yeah. But but no, in, in all seriousness, it becomes like um one just a, a sort of back right again, back to the future of work. Like we want to do this media stuff, you better have multiple revenue streams and diversify yourself. Um, but then it, it becomes like low-hanging fruit. Like we see a lot of deals, we're talking to a lot of founders, like we should participate. And increasingly for me, it's like I, I have a lot to say or you know, have a have a point of view. And the the next evolution is like actually putting our money where our mouths are. So that's that's the idea. Right. Cool. Yeah. Did we, uh, Justin? Did you ask your, your last question? Before uh, we were... No. No. Okay. So, do it. So my my affability podcast question is, and and just I'll preface, like we did a um I did an episode last year on like tech and the media, and and it was kind of like co produced with Osruman from the subtext. Yes. And one of the things yeah. we talked a lot about was the sort of challenge of creating media in the way that people expect, right? They look at like stratechery and they're like, Ben Thompson writes four days a week or whatever. The reason why is because- <laughs> He has so much research material. Yeah, he's covering public earnings right. calls and everyone has S1s and everything, right? And, and I've been like waiting for the day that all these companies are public in Africa, so we have S1s to look at or whatever. So I just, in, in that vein, um, like you guys obviously do just a ridiculous amount of research and I wonder, like, what is the research process and how do you acquire all of this different information, especially in light of the fact that all the companies we're talking about are private? Good question. Thank yeah. you. You want to go first? Yeah, or I can go. Take it? Maybe it was you start to like how I think about it is like, one, there's the facts. Most times the facts are like the facts that are shared. So you can, you want to make sure you have those, like have the fundraise and what does Crunchbase say, what does TechCrunch say, it's just like the facts. And the second is like, there's the context. A underestimated source is college research papers. So African <laughs> students in foreign universities write a lot of papers about their home markets. It could right. be the smallest market. They write a lot of research papers. So you go to like, I don't know, University of Nottingham, pick a random university in the UK, or University of Queensland, uh, New South Wales in Australia. There are students there writing digital papers about safe water, right? Because they're Ugandan and they just go to this Australian school. That's funny. Um, so that's like so there's there's a lot of context that you get from that and 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 video and soft material which which definitely helps with the context and i think that the third layer is then a lot of like what i called maybe maybe that wasn't context that's maybe more facts and the third layer is this like added context i get from talking to people in those markets talking to the, to the customers in those markets talking to the vendors in the markets using my personal network to reach out to the people and like hey i read this thing about this company they say they have this feature you know, tell me, am I thinking about this right? Or am I just, am I, you know, am I sucking up to the hype? And because right. I feel that way about my Nigerian businesses as well, where people are asking me a lot about Jumia, like, oh, Jumia is the Amazon of Africa. And I'm like, well, I live in Lagos. I don't know anybody who shops there, you know, and stuff like that. But there's there's a lot of that added context we then get from people that helps us develop an opinion um, over each of these things. Um, that's why we cluster our episodes together because you can be much more efficient in that context setting piece. Because once you learn about like, Save Buddha, you can do Dow Jack and the other companies as well, for example. Um, and you can ask your Ugandan friend that one question about all the companies in that market on one call versus spreading it out. Um, so yeah, it's it ends up being personally, it ends up being a lot of uh, a lot of work, but I sort of have like three steps. One is just the facts, two is just added more like less popular sources of information, and three is just the context, the individual context of people, uh, from people who know the market. That's how I think about all the research. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one to everything Brown Coley said, I think also there's like a, there's a deeper question that I'll, I'll answer, which is implied in your question. Basically, the reason why affordability is so good, cough, cough, bias, is because we're obsessed with the topics. I'm obsessed with the companies. Like 
if you're obsessed, you'll find the information. I'm when I start the research, I become obsessed with it. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm doing research about it. I'm watching all the videos about it. I'm calling people about it. I'm asking employees about it. Like it, there are things you, you'd be surprised people don't even do. Like on the Chipper Cash episode, I installed Chipper Cash, sent money to it, use it for three days. Most people they yeah. haven't used the app. I'm like, how the fuck? You invested, yeah. you didn't use it. Yeah. So the, it's because like I, I don't understand. <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't have a SIM card, I don't have an Android phone. What the fuck, mate? Like, are you investing yeah. money in the company? So there's so many things. Yeah. I could go down a long list. Already yeah. over two hours. Let me wrap it. There's something about because I'm a tech person, I love technology. I'm using all the products, I'm testing it. I have multiple SIM cards, multiple yeah. data plans. I'm in the country. I used to live there. All these things were like, if you're just obsessed, you'll find the information. There's information out there. But if you're like, oh, I just want to find TechCrunch, like obviously you, you shouldn't be doing a podcast. Like in order to do an Afro podcast, you really have to like technology. You can't pretend. Well, I sort of like it because if you don't like it enough, how are you going to find enough material to do two and a half hours yeah. on Chipper Cash? That's the edited version. We spoke for four yeah. hours about it. But if you don't like talking about it for four and, hours, yeah. obviously it's not going to be as good. There's something about, about that mental frame of being addicted to the topics. Yeah. And thanks to our yeah, audience. So. Information finds us as well, which is great. <laughs> send stuff, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. People send stuff, which is great. One, one hack I learned was I, I, I listened to podcasts while playing FIFA. So. <laughs> Oh, Samora, get at me. We should put, we should have a FIFA affability group. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's one way of like listening to many podcasts at the same time. And, you know, I find it amazing. I love it. 2X, 2X speed is another tip that I use. Cause people are like, Oh, I'd listen to so many podcasts. I'm like, I don't listen to my own podcast. I mean, I talk quite quickly. I listen to affability 2.5X because I'm used to it. Um, anyway, Justin, were you, were you about to give a follow-up point on that? Yeah, I was, well, I was just going to ask a follow-up question, which was, have you guys found like the further that uh, affability has, has gone along in the sort of timeline and, and the longer you guys have been doing this and the sort of wider your audience grows, that the nature of your engagement with all of these people you're talking to has changed? say more about nature like you mean so it's less friendly and now like business or or so they know right so they know that you're talking to them because you're going to do a podcast and so they are well i'll give you for context mm. i think with well, me true. especially a lot of right maybe it's because it's an interview style show but <laughs> a lot of the people that we talk to right I, I i get the sense a lot of times that they're talking to me like i'm an investor <laughs> because yeah. they know that investors or you know what i mean or it becomes like this I, I know platform and and it's antithetical yeah. to what i'm trying to achieve in terms of like being in the weeds and people are talking right. about these like grandiose visions and they're saying nothing um so I, I don't know if you experience any of that as well because people know why you're talking to them yeah so so basically i'll i'll, I'll take yeah. this one I'll, because yeah. our podcasts are quite yeah. different okay so for the audience in case you haven't listened to the flip it's a lot more interview based and conversation based ours a lot more research i don't have that issue justin because like they know like we've only ever had two co-hosts in like hundred hours of affability. So they're not going to be on the podcast. So they don't need to say anything and everything is off the, off, I mean, it's off the record. So I don't have that issue. I do have a related issue in that the bigger affability gets, the more I feel like people want stuff from me. So before I would respond to all my LinkedIn messages, I would respond to my emails. Now I'm like, oh, what's the angle the person is trying to play? They want something from me. Do they want my, not just time, they may want something tangible. So it's sort of like, I'm not a jerk about it, but sometimes I just feel like people just want stuff. So it makes me hesitant to respond to all the requests because there's so much inbound. People can't understand the amount of inbound there is. And they, they, they just want to take your time for granted. Do you want 10 minutes for this, 15 minutes? Yes, but maybe not now. I'm busy. So it's, it becomes harder to triage the requests when it gets bigger, which I guess is it's a related question to your question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Justin, how do you manage that? So affordability is like 
we, again, it's very opinion heavy. We've had founders disagree with us, like, oh, it's mostly right and stuff. And like, that happens. But again, we lead heavy, it's opinion. But like, how do you manage that? Where your podcast and guys are like, you know, we are the future. We are going to build Amazon. Amazon has this API, 3 trillion. We are 2% of the way to that. We're going to get 3 trillion. And that's what people talk about on your podcast. How do you manage that to get them to like, yeah, but what was your revenue last month? You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> interesting because, well, so I always tell everybody like, say, anything because like everything can hit the cutting room floor and mm-hmm. but very 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 um infrequently does anyone say like i said this thing that can't be shared or whatever mm-hmm. like we're always recording right so that's the other thing is the dynamics mm-hmm. are always going to be different mm-hmm. um it's, it's it's interesting though in the context of like um i i the the narrative format sometimes allows me to hide behind like being an, an amateur interviewer right mm-hmm. but but i'm starting to realize yeah. more and more like it's incumbent upon me to like learn how to pry information out of people that they're yes. not necessarily comfortable sharing. Yes. Um, and that's a different, that's a different skill set than like the skill set that got me started. Yes. Um, so it's something that I do think a lot about. Um, but then increasingly I'm, I'm doing in, like more and more like back channeling or like pre calls <laughs> with people and you know, employees and investors or whatever. I think that Good. that's just a necessary part of it. But um, you know, the, the other thing is I get a ton of inbound as well. Like we want to be featured on this and I'm like, well, we don't really, you know, so it's a very easy for me to say no to everything because like I say, we've got these themes that we're exploring. Like if you don't fit in just like a hard no. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah, it's, it's, I think just a practice and development thing for me is to try to like continue to push to like get people to share that's that's a mm. general thing it's like i just i just think for the betterment of the ecosystem everyone yes. should be sharing more yes. it's an easy thing for me to say like from the sidelines like everyone should share when yeah. these people might have real competitors but I, yes. I, I genuinely think it's it's a it's a good thing yes okay, okay. awesome i think banky i had uh, one question for you uh okay easy. uh what would you do if you were not a product manager or a podcaster or an investor? What other profession would you do? Oh man, <laughs> I would say like I would be a writer. <laughs> I'll be a writer. I would be. I would work for a hedge fund. Shout so I feel like more. when you ask someone you know, the job he didn't take, I just think about like uh, I joined big tech or I could have joined gotten a job in private equity or finance, and I was this close to so like an asset management career. And it's more like, hmm, I would be like an asset allocator reading Seth Klarman and quoting um, and talking about um, complex finance things. I would be like a quant. And now I just, I'm just a product manager that attends a lot of meetings. So <laughs> big difference. And so to your question, what would I do instead? I would probably be an investor, but more like a hedge fund uh, portfolio manager type investor. Mm-hmm. Um, or I would be like an intellectual, I'd be like a flaneur. You know, those guys that are like, funded by the Medici's, you get a grant from like the Hoover <laughs> Institute and just write a lot, ton of papers. I feel like that's like, I, I, that's my dream Talib. job. Yeah, La Flaneur, yeah, exactly. I'll be right? Nassim Taleb. Yeah, I'll yeah, be Nassim Taleb. That's exactly what I would be. I would just go to coffee shops and write. Alas, I have to go to work tomorrow. Oh, awesome. Okay, <laughs> Banky, any questions for me? And then we're almost in the home stretch. Yeah, any what's the best me? piece of, where's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten at work? At work? Or, uh, or in general, actually, work is Be- very specific. In general, best piece of advice I've ever gotten. Uh, that's tricky, actually, because I read a lot of books, so it would probably be from a book. Uh, okay. I think the best piece of advice, which was not advice directly for me, but I read somewhere, was prioritizing the most important things in your life intentionally versus just doing stuff on autopilot. 
Um, so from Brian Tracy, shout out to Brian Tracy's personal development books. That'll, that'll be the one. Uh, Partizan, uh, Partizan Life. Otherwise, defaults would just, you just end up messed up. You'd have watched every episode of some shitty TV show, but your relationship is in shambles. Um, so yeah, that's that's a key lesson for me. Cool. Okay, uh, 2022 creator plans. Uh, Samora, tell us about the 2022 exciting plans for Frontier Fintech. Exciting, exciting. Well, um, this is uh, still up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I had plans and then the kind of <laughs> cast aside. But my initial idea was to actually two things, which may still happen. Number one is that I want to go into podcasting. Oh. And, uh, have much more discussion. So the idea was you have, for instance, a weekly newsletter that's followed up by a discussion with people in the industry just to you know, shed more light on the mm-hmm. newsletter. And number number two, one thing I really noticed was that there are a lot of people in the industry that need a learning portal, a networking portal. So it was something around creating a community around that. Mm-hmm. So instead of having like a paid subscription where you get access to like, um, you know, let's say extra material, it's like be part of the Frontier FinTech community, get to meet other people within the industry, you know, solve your existing problems by right. speaking to just so like a massive Sign me up. Yeah. The community is the key, man. One thing I guess yeah. we'll talk about this later is there's something about building a community layer on top of your creator yeah. service. Because right yeah. now, if you think about all the stuff we're doing, it's one to many, right? We're creating stuff, we're sending it to many. But if you can yeah. get them to interact with each other, number one, exactly. it reduces the burden on us to always create material. And then number two, yeah. it's like exponential, like Justin was saying. There's so much more yeah. information within our community and our audience. Yeah. They can learn from each exactly. other. It's just, it takes so much time to build a community, man. Shout out to all the people and that I are doing that. Within the fintech space, especially when now when you look at the banking side, a lot of people within banks are trying to figure things out. It's like, you know, they, they want to innovate as well. Right. So you've got such a huge group of, you know, banking, you know, chief innovation officers, CTOs, etc. And I think it'll be a it'll be a very interesting thing. Justin, like what are your what are your podcast plans for next year and beyond? Where, where do you see this thing evolving? So we are going to, you know, I, I suppose COVID travel restrictions notwithstanding, we're gonna take the flip on tour next year. Woo! Um where we're going, we're not quite sure yet. There's there's some obvious markets. There's some not obvious markets. Um, but the whole idea is just from a podcast perspective, first and foremost, like we're we're increasingly getting into the weeds. Like like the show started very high level, general, and this past series, uh, this past season, we did um, sector specific episodes, right? right? And we realized that in order to just tell better stories and to better understand customer problems, like. We need to be on the ground and we want to be on the ground. So um, at least in terms of the evolution of the of the show, like not from a business perspective, we can talk about that later. Um, we, we want to do more content on the ground. So uh, if, if the people who are listening have, you know, spare bedrooms. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but seriously, we're, we're, we're constantly like mining for stories as well. So if, if, if interesting or alternative things are happening in a given city, I mean, like we, we want to know that as well. I should probably, I, I told my email address before JPN, but I should probably just create like a Justin at the flip.africa. So you, you, probably should. Justin you can at, have multiple Justin, email addresses. Justin at the flip.africa. It, it, it will exist by the time of. <laughs> You're going to make it tonight. Okay. And then one yeah. thing, Justin is too nice to say it, but 
we need corporate sponsors for Justin. I don't want Justin using his money to be flying across Africa. So if you're a corporate entity yeah. or VC firm or fund or a rich person, a random rich person, no, uh, yeah, contact Justin and pay uh, to, to pay. It's, for it's not even a gift. I think everybody who's in, interested, invested, working in in this ecosystem listens to Justin's podcast. It's important to realize that there's very different ways. It's such a is a hodgepodge. What we found from our podcast is a hodgepodge of people who are interested in this space, and there's, they don't. The market doesn't quite. They are united by their like or interest in the African tech ecosystem, but not by much else, right? They right. could not be very different. And I feel like Justin has a very unique audience. So if you're a corporate right. person and you do your work, you care about where your brand sits, and you're not working with the flipped or Africa, maybe you don't want to talk to people who like to Africa tech. Um, <laughs> as a, as a creator like Justin, I will say, even though this job seems glamorous. This job is not glamorous. It doesn't pay well or at all. So we say it as a joke. We're sort of joking, but really, the saddest thing to me when I started uh, Afrobilly with Bankola is finding podcasts that were abandoned after three episodes, four episodes, five episodes, two episodes, and it's because like you started, you put your heart into it, and then you just realize, oh my god, this takes up so much time. So we say it as a joke, but but seriously, reach out to Justin and find ways to support creators. It's really important because it's a hard job, and you we do because you love it. But your love can only, I mean, you can't use your love to pay rents as a friend of mine said. So the challenge that I also have is, um, is actually inventory, right? Mm. So, so I'm, I am in a good year publishing 20 podcast episodes a year, right? So we already have a sponsor for all of next year, Mm. but then there's a sort of question of when we go on tour, what, what's the sponsor getting? Should we try to create video content? for example, like all of these other different things mm. really to try to create inventory so we can sell more stuff to sponsors who, who we know are interested, but um, that's something that's very top of mind for me. Right? You know, I, I also think angel investments turns into syndicates, turns into fund. fund Funds. Just, We're know, doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. yeah. That that's, there's that. And then also, I mean, very similarly, I, I think a lot about like creator um, monetization and, and business models, right? So mm. To, to, to what extent can other products or services be launched on top of content, right? So what's going to end up happening is now we just like shit on all of these like crypto. You know, <laughs> all three of us are gonna. All three of us are gonna just be doing this. We're all gonna have our own individual communities. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, why are there so many of the same things? Can they just yeah. create one Slack? But like, no. Yeah, so, so, so definitely that. And then, you know, I'm, I mean, I've, I've for, for, you know, most of the year, like I said before, been in the like crypto rabbit hole a bit. And so I'm, I'm very interested. I'm, I'm quite convinced that like web three rewards participation. So I'm getting involved a lot in a personal capacity and I'm very interested in like just experimenting in web, web three more. And, um, maybe it's doing an NFT project yes. with our audience or creators or, you know, some DAO or whatever. I mean, I don't exactly know what that's going to be, but yes, you know, I, I, if we believe that you know, Web three has has merits um, in emerging markets in particular, like let's just not talk about it. Like let's do some experiments and, and see what happens. Hundred so percent, something that I, I wish to do you know, early next year as well. Yeah, on that last point, I don't know the way this is going to look, but something around like our community getting some sort of ownership stake or participation stake in our franchise. Like, oh, I like the Afrobility guys. I like the Flip guys. I like Frontier Fintech so much that I'm going to get this thing, token, whatever. And then if if they get bigger, more popular later on, they'll have increased value, actual money. There's something there. Um, Maybe we can can think about a way to actually actualize that. But there's something there for sure. Yeah. I I think that would affect something like this. Um, Yeah. uh, he he did like a 
something around creating a, com- uh, a community around him and mm. issuing tokens for, mm. for his fans. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Davido, you said. Who's that? <laughs> Davido, the, the Nigerian Davido. That's so funny. He does that. That's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even know he had that. I didn't know Clearly, he had that either. Clearly, it's not his full community. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit like... Uh, Okay, uh, affability plans. It's funny, Bankole and I yeah. normally would have spoken about this earlier, but we haven't. So I guess we could do yeah. it live. Banky, you want me to give my thoughts first or you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. You can go first. Okay, I think okay. I have, I have... I'll, I'll, I'll go first. So basically, uh, I have three things I'm thinking about for affability in 2022. Number one, more of the same. More uh, deep dive, company stories, founders, all that good stuff. So that's table stakes. The second thing is like this conversation, I'm calling it like creator roundtables. I want to get... There's so many epic creators out there. We can all come together and talk about the ecosystem because we tend to be, number one, less biased. And number two, we have a much more horizontal view so we can have fun conversations. Maybe maybe not as long and crazy as this one, but I'm excited. Like, okay, so here are a few people. Emeka from Afri Digest, shout out. Something, something can, in person. We, even, we can bring him in. Yeah. Uh, Atto from uh, Musings of a Wannabe VC, we can bring him in. Uh, Mashudu from MASH Startup, we can bring him in. Uh, Chogozem from Get Africa. I mean, I have like 16 names here. Let's not go down the, the whole list, but there's so many creators. Shout out to our tech points, tech cabal family. Yeah, I'd like to, to do something mm. like that. Basically, I'm calling it creator roundtable, second yeah. thing. And then the last thing is similar to creator roundtables, investor roundtables. Um, there is a perspective with yeah. investors that is similar to creators. They're less biased, they're more horizontal, and there's so many interesting investors all doing interesting things. So let, let's go down the list. We have Voltron Capital, shout out to the other Olumide Shoinbo, Ventures Platform, shout out to Kola, mm-hmm. Rally Cap, Hayden Family, yeah. First Check, Odunayo, Ingressive Maya, uh, Microtraction, Dio, Keppel Ventures, yeah. Satoshi, Ian Future Africa, Lexi QD, Echo V. I mean, the, uh, let's stop. There's a long list. The point yeah. is, there's so many amazing people doing amazing things in Africa. I, I love to talk to them every quarter, every six months. We can all get together, do a podcast and chat about it. So th- that, that's the summary. Three things. More of the same. Investor roundtables and yeah. creator roundtables. So many amazing investors. And the list I gave were just fund managers. Yeah. I didn't even talk about the angels. So many things we could do next year. So I'm yeah. very excited. You know why the investor piece is interesting to me is um you don't even have to take what they say as facts. I feel like <laughs> you can always argue with definitely not, definitely with, not. Yeah, you can always be like, show me your portfolio. Like yeah. that's it. Like, oh, I think you know, B2B logistics is the future. It's like show me your portfolio. How many or, have you invested in? I think B2B logistics in the future, okay. It makes sense. Invested in five of them, which is why you must talk to talk up your book. So right. just create some kind of honesty mechanism. Um, where you can always look at that portfolio to see like, well, you know, only invested this much. You didn't lead the round. You know, you clearly have as much capital to lead the round. You didn't lead the round. You've been there since the angel round. So right. you're clearly not having the same level of conviction um, right. versus you can have commentators like us just be like, we think and be honest. So it's just different sides to the same, getting to the truth. I like yeah. that point a lot. And, and and then when you do that, and when everyone says that they invested in Paystack and Photo, if you just have to ask when. <laughs> Other than the, like, I think more of the same deep dives, more of the same. I think, I, I personally want to do more interviews. I can't figure out a way to, to figure that out. I think I like the, I like I definitely like the interview <laughs> format. But Justin is like, don't do it. Just Justin like, don't is do like, it. okay, for the audience, Justin scheduled this episode. Literally, I created a WhatsApp group, right? <laughs> I sent at least yeah. 14 messages. We made 25 slots. So it's uh it's hell on earth. <laughs> 25 yeah. slots. I only found one. It's hell on earth. So maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it has its upsides, but maybe I don't see the downsides as clearly as, as, clearly as Justin does. Um, but, but overall, I definitely like the deep dives. I definitely like the investor roundtable ideas. I like the bring people together. I also like the value you get from that. Maybe that's what I'm getting to with interviews. And maybe there's some, there's some middle ground there, which is getting yeah. people to talk their book. Right. And at least we know what you are invested in. Like if you're right. an investor in 
lot of opaque stack and you think it's worth 75 billion. I know, you know, yes. it's okay. We can we can couch your point of view with that with that perspective. Right. And the but great yeah, thing about, about round two, you, agree with the that. bank is like, if you invite seven creators, right, and five of them show up, that's fine because we'll have a good conversation. If you invite yeah. six investors, four, but if you invite one entrepreneur and he's the CEO, he doesn't show up, the whole episode is fucked. It's gone, right? You can't have it. You, you can't have it. So there's some angle we can do yeah. there. Let's see how 2022 goes. Okay. With that, we're going to do recommendations, recommendations and small wins. Okay. I'll go first. Uh, recommendations. I have three recommendations. First one, workout classes. My, um, my experiment for November was to do more workout class. I already go to the gym, but it's like all these dance calisthenic classes. Amazing. I did Zumba, uh, Tabata and body sculpt three days back to back. My thighs dance church. Per- yeah, exactly. All that shit. It's, it's sort of like for the audience who have no clue what I'm talking. It's like they play music and you do like weird freaking dances. It's it's awkward because my body type isn't meant for that, but I really enjoyed it. My legs are, are thanking me. Uh, second recommendation, Encanto. Is this Disney Pixar movie? It's so good. I saw it two days ago. Really, really good. If you like um, up yeah. uh, all the all the it's basically more of the same. Really good. So yeah, you know what I wouldn't recommend Eternals. I saw that in a thread on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> Sucks. That is not Anyways, a recommendation. Um, my my recommendation is this book called The Reckoning by Jacob Sowell. Right. It's about the history of accounting and double entry bookkeeping, and it's a very it's a way to look at the different events of the thirteenth century down to the seventeenth century French Revolution um, through the lens of how much accounting and how much visibility and how much legibility um, uh, exists in a system and how each of these things, including the big Great Depression of the 1920s was linked to just accounting and accounting errors, accounting issues down to Enron Worldcom wow. and the incentives there. It's a strange story of accounting. I realize that things we take for granted, it's almost not clearly a solved problem, but it also underpins that legibility, underpins everything governments do and businesses do and all kinds of fraud. And there's so much accounting history I did not even know that I thought was cool. Why did I read you read a book on fantastic. accounting history? You are a super, super nerd. I love that. What was the 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 origin of you finding or reading the book. I don't remember how I found the book, wow. but it was my thing. And, and I remember where I read it because I ordered it immediately. I saw it recommended to me, and I opened the first page like the first day on this holiday, and I was like, I'm hooked because it goes into like the Medici's and the invention of double entry bookkeeping in Venice and why it makes sense and the difference between, for example, single without double entry bookkeeping, you can't do profit and loss, right? You right. take it for granted. But most people can do single entry, which is basically how you balance a checkbook. You know, I have $100, I spent 20, I get 15, I get right. lose 20. But when you're exchanging a laptop for $100, you need double entry, you need to be able to track both. And that in itself was a big differentiator in business at the beginning, keeping good books. And then for governments and states and for as empires grew to manage all of that without bookkeeping, it's it's insane to think Shit. about it. Um, and it's all about accounting, which wow. is strange, but yeah, I loved it. I would recommend the book. If you like history and nerd stuff like that, you should definitely look into it. Okay, that sounds like that's, that's, not, that's not a good audiobook recommendation. That's a good, you need the ebook <laughs> or the physical book. I can't, an audiobook about accounting sounds like my brains would explode. Accounting is, is accounting receives so much um, bad rep. <laughs> I said no one ever and, on a tech podcast. And the book talks about it. The book talks about it. It talks about how like accounting went from something that was cool and it, like you learn um math and double entry bookkeeping like if you're in venice and you're a noble and it became something for merchants and accounting and finance became something that jesus hated the the tax collectors and the accountants and stuff like that so it became despicable profession and now it's becoming this boring thing but there's still a lot of ambiguity and fraud happening there like it's, it's neither of those things it's much more complex than that anyways this is not a podcast about accounting thank you 
That is my only recommendation. Okay. So some more recommendation for the audience. Things you, you want them to read or you found interesting. Yeah. So I think for reading, I mean, there's this book I was reading about. It's called The Box by Mark Levinson mm. about That's how containers revolutionized, you know. It's the same kind of book, Samora. You'd love this yeah. book. Same book. Wow. Two instant thumbs but, up from Bankle and Justin. I have to read this book. Justin's response yeah, was I'm automatic. Great. Wow. No, it's, it's 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 an amazing book, and and for me, it's I think when we were talking about tech, we're talking about you know innovations and everything, and you look back at how, you know, there was this thing called longshoremen and longshoremen associations who right. would break back in a container and how inefficient it was. Right. Just, Justin is from New York. That might be Justin's family. Yeah. Be careful. Exactly, <laughs> and how like you know the container revolutionized so much, and I think maybe twenty or thirty years down the line. Some of the things we're talking about in this podcast, and it'd be like, can you imagine? You know, you used to go to hospital and like not find enough yeah. medicine, and, and you no. die. You can know? you imagine you use <laughs> insert switch in 2010? You're using insert switch. Wow. EU now all about pay stack. That's basically wow. that. <laughs> wow, Day, why are you just going to catch insert switch with that stribble? Like, <laughs> <laughs> send all the hate emails. Samora at afrobilly.com. That's where the hate email should go. <laughs> and Justin, and, you're and, and, I after I read the book, I became like absolutely obsessed with logistics <laughs> and, and global <laughs> container shipping it's funny. but it's it's and then the ever given stuff happened the suez canal right but like it's yeah. it's it's wild how stuff how how readily stuff moves around the world yeah specifically mm -hmm. because of the the container box and how it's you know literally like one of the most important inventions in the 21st century the the one thing exactly. i'll add yeah. though, just in the context of like tech so so we also just did a logistics episode where we talked about the sort of like tech enablers at every level of logistics supply chain but then as we were doing that episode we realized the the big thing that's missing is like just talking about inefficiencies of infrastructure at the port right so like mm. a papa in lagos like it takes two weeks to just oh my God, unload and load awful. right so, so there's also in the context of like what needs to be built for the benefit of like developing African cities or improving or whatever, so like there are definitely some limitations when it comes to stuff like this. Like people just need to build bigger ports. Yeah. And, and that was an amazing podcast. And I think it's, it was very important because uh, as we've been saying, some of these old boring industries, we need to talk more about them. Um, I think the second the second blog is this amazing blog called chinaplaybook.substack.com. Mm. China Playbook, right? So it's it's essentially so the former the the founder of Mate One, Wang Hui Hui Wen. I don't know if they pronounce it properly. So he started a course, a product management course at Tsinghua University in September last year, 2020, and this article just translates a lot of his lectures. And I mean, it's amazing, like the way these guys think about tech, the way they think about product. I mean, it's it's out of this world, and I think. Wow. For me, it just goes back to you know saying how we've got so much to learn from Chinese tech as opposed to like you know the, the constant focus on 100 percent and, and it's amazing. I just signed up for it. That's a great, great idea. I can't wait. Justin, bring us home. Well, cool. so um I've been trying to onboard a lot of people into the crypto ecosystem, um, set up a MetaMask wallet, buy an ENS domain. Um, but my recommendation, actually, a lot of people like will ask about NFTs, like, what do you look at? How do you find it? And I, when I started, I was looking at like everything, like frantically, like in all of these discords. And then I realized to like compartmentalize. And so for my recommendation, one of my favorite NFT projects is called Aku Chapters or mm. Aku World. So it's a story. Um, it's by this this uh, artist. He used to be a professional baseball player um, turned 
professional artist, I guess, an NFT artist called Micah Johnson. So he's an African-American guy and he's created this like whole Aku world. So it's the story of his nephew who asked him, why can't astronauts be black? (laughs) um, They're telling this entire story about, you know, building a world for Aku, um, this astronaut. And um, they actually just two days ago, they released the story in chapters. So they just released chapter six um, two days ago. So I guess Friday, you know, Black Friday. Um, and it's just like an incredible story. It's really, especially amongst like the African-American community, people in, in crypto, like really crowding a lot of people in who are interested in, in it. Um, the head of crypto for Visa is a guy who um, also is supporting a lot of black creators, including Micah. And they're doing this like shared, like creator economy, wow. um, like in development program or something like that with Visa as well. So um, for those who are listening and, you know, I, I suspect if they're interested in, in African tech and they're interested in looking at, you know, NFTs or projects that, that could be interesting for them, that's definitely one of them. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. And then the final section, finally, finally, small wins. Okay. Uh, Samora, Justin, I guess if you listen to the podcast, this is basically small things that happened recently that we're happy with made us happy in a small way. Okay. Mine is I'll go first. Um, it's just like, it's been amazing talking to different people about the Adamantium Fund. When you, when I talk to people, it's fascinating. People tell you their stories, what they've been through. I remember this one conversation with a guy, a potential LP, and he started off by, oh, uh, I want to hear your story first. So I told him about my background, all the stuff that happened to me. And I was like, well, I want to hear your story. As soon as he started, I was like, oh, my story isn't as interesting as yours. And then he went to tell me this amazing story. Like he lived in this country. There was a war. And I'm like, oh my God, people underestimate their own stories until they verbalize it. So anyway, small win. Talk to a bunch of potential LPs in the fund. It's fascinating how people care more about you and who you are and what you've done versus like all the other things that you think would be important. Like they don't care about the details of the fund. They just care about me and they want to talk to me and what, what I can do versus, oh, this specific number, this specific detail. So that's been my small win, talking to, to LPs about the fund. Fascinating. I can go. I think this week um, I got to take a, a holiday, I, like take a couple of days. I wasn't really off work, so I had to work this week. So it was kind of a bummer and everybody else was off and I was on fire or whatever. Um, but I... I was able to just really like relax is when I got to reading this book and it's like super chill, great weather, doing something that I like to do and learning out on some, on some weird topic at this accounting book. And I thought that like, yeah, this was a great, like, great week. Justin, small win, small thing that made you happy. It's actually not a small win. It's a huge win. Oh, um, I went to the university of Michigan and the Michigan Wolverines have lost eight straight <laughs> games. Our, 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 our rival Ohio state. And then yesterday, uh, they were the number two team in the country. We were the number five team in the country. I don't know if anyone cares about college football that's listening because you know you guys brought up soccer earlier, or whatever. Um, but but an absolutely huge huge win for us to beat them. Um, and I had a lot of people, the entire families, had no expectations that it would happen, and it happened. I was actually thinking in advance. I was like, what was my small win going to be? I was going to say I hosted the Thanksgiving. And that was really nice as well. And I cooked right. the turkey for the first time. Oh, then wow. This, then this happened. And I was like, I had no expectation this would actually happen. <laughs> so that's a big win. I love that. You had a small win surpass your other small win. So double dip on the small win. Exactly. I love that. Yes. Okay, Samora, bring us home. Yeah, so for me, you know, I'm moving back to Kenya next week permanently. Oh. So, yeah, so my biggest wins were just packing, organizing all the logistics, managed to sort out moving my dog my german shepherd back to nairobi Aww. moved all the stuff so now i'm just you know chilling waiting for my final flight the logistical nightmare was, was a headache how long you is know, the flight 
no, it's, it's, it's just a one-hour flight, so sure. it's not bad for the dog. But, you know, being holed up in customs wow. <laughs> can be very depressing for, for a dog. Yes, I, I love it. We've never, thank you, we've never ended on a canine uh, reference before. Amazing. Uh, I just wanted to thank, thank you, Samora. Uh, if you like fintech, if you like Africa, read his Frontier Fintech newsletter. It's a Substack. Thank you, Justin, for spending uh, three hours, 15 minutes. Oh my God. It's When you listen to this podcast, it's not going to be three hours, 15 minutes, but that's how long this book. Thank you, Justin. If you like- I'm tired. Uh, I know. I need to go eat. You know, thank yeah. you. If you like it, listen to the Flip uh, email, Justin. Great podcast. Big fan. Banky, any last comments before we wrap? No. We need to include, like, this was a tough call to organize, and I thank everybody for being flexible. Like, we need to include a map in the newsletter saying where everybody was when we recorded this, because <laughs> I think we're probably the farthest we could possibly be from each other. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the East Coast, in Hawaii, yeah. and Burundi, and South Cape Town. Yeah. yeah. Cape Town. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. It's a lot. All right. All right, guys. On that this note, is it. thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afferability.com. Thanks.